1977, George Lucas unleashed the first film in what would become the never-ending Star Wars saga. The movie, Star Wars, would later be shuffled in order and dubbed Episode 4, A New Hope, with its two 1980s sequels making up the original trilogy. Then, in the mid-1990s, Lucas revisited his grand space opera in the movies after spending about a decade reaping the benefits of Star Wars licensing. After giving the original trilogy a quick update with 90s-era film technology, he returned to now what was billed as the saga of Darth Vader to add three prequel films to the official Star Wars canon. Finally, a scant few years ago, Lucas hung up his hat and sold Lucasfilm and the future of the Star Wars to Disney, who is not only making a sequel trilogy that takes place 30 years after the original trilogy, but reviving the animated TV presence of Star Wars and launching standalone anthology films. Star Wars might never end, for better or for worse, so the Fighting in the War Room podcast team has assembled to make Star Wars a topic of debate in a Star Wars special. Welcome to the second Fighting in the War Room Star Wars special. This week we have another lengthy episode debating Star Wars and Star Wars topics for you. We're going to start with two retention quizzes, one for Revenge of the Sith and one for A New Hope. Then we're going to move on to a segment where Matt Patches, Joanna Robinson, and myself discuss what part of the Star Wars fandom is just a step too far when it comes to the expanded universe content or cartoons or toys. Then Katie Rich, Joanna Robinson, and I discuss my theory that R2-D2 is a withholding little dick and use that as a way to segue into things that we would change about the prequels in order to make them more enjoyable. Finally, to wrap up this last Star Wars special before The Force Awakens, I have assembled my Storm of Spoilers crew of Joanna Robinson and Neil Miller to have a no-rules-all-spoilers-and-speculation-allowed The Force Awakens discussions marathon fest Kingsmoot. You're going to really enjoy it if you enjoy uh, mucking around in spoiler territory. And then later on uh, this month, we'll bring you a whole post-The Force Awakens Star Wars special. But of course, first, we start with retention quizzes.
And we're here with another retention quiz. This time we have Miss Katie Rich, who will be taking on the third of the prequel series, Revenge of the Sith. Katie, how long has it been since you've seen Revenge of the Sith? I watched it, I think, two weeks ago? Sometime okay. before Thanksgiving, as we record this. So two or three weeks ago, which is the first time I had seen it since it was in theaters. Okay, good. So you'll probably do okay on this. I don't think I made any of these too hard, but we'll, we'll see. see how it goes. We'll see. Um, mostly plot-based. I didn't give you any, like, complete the horrible love dialogue. Oh, my God. There's less of it in the third one. Although it does have my favorite love dialogue, Told Me Like You Did by the Lake on Naboo. Oh, that's good, too. I, I wrote down a little paragraph here that we're going to get to. But, okay. Um, okay. Question number one, name the three main leaders, secret or otherwise, of the Separatists at the beginning of the movie. Oh, my God, at the beginning. Okay, so Count Dooku. Yes. uh, Senator Palpatine. Yes. uh, General Grievous. That is correct. All right. (laughs) Best Star Wars thing I've ever done. The battle at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith takes place over what planet? Oh, God. Oh. It's, is it, wait, is it, no, not, not the one that's the whole city. Caprica, no. All right, I'm just going to say Coruscant because I don't know. That is correct. Oh, it's Coruscant? I thought it was... <sighs> no, I must be thinking about the end of the other one where it's like that deserty planet. Yes, no, this is definitely the capital planet because there's this cool shot at the beginning where it sort of pans uh, through the entire battle. And you can see the planet-wide city below. I sure don't remember that scene at all. But you had all like the key ingredients. Like It wasn't the planet-wide city. Oh, maybe it was. I'm going to guess that. <laughs> No, I remember that it existed, but I just remember it from the chase scene at the beginning of Clones, where it's uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan running around, which I like. Okay. All right, still at the beginning of the movie, (laughs) Obi-Wan Kenobi loses his lightsaber in two of the three duels in this movie. (laughs) Is this one of them? Oh, um, he definitely loses it against Count Dooku. Um, I'm going to say no, because I think he also loses it against Anakin at the end. It is one of them because it oh. is Count Dooku at the very beginning. Oh, oh! I thought they were battling with Count Dooku later. Okay, see, I'm remembering this incorrectly. It's cool. We'll get to the other one you mentioned later on. All right. Uh, why does Chancellor Palpatine secretly glad? Why is Chancellor Palpatine secretly glad for General Grievous's escape? Oh, um, all I can remember is that he's secretly glad. Of, all right, so he he wants Count Dooku to die so that Anakin can be his. Apprentice. I don't think that's right. No, he had already killed Count Dooku at this point, but mm. he wants General Grievous to escape because the Senate will continue the war until General Grievous is dead. Ah, okay, yeah, that's how he builds up his army. Yeah, this is, entire movie's like shadow plot that is sort of happening, but nobody's paying attention. Is uh, like Sidious deciding when General Grievous dies. Yeah, I mean, when it's, it's him in general having a ton of power that somehow the all-knowing Jedi's never notice. What is Padme's wonderful news? Oh, she's having babies. Well, she she only says one baby, but it's two. She is pregnant. Yeah. Which has uh, is followed by my my favorite exchange. Um, Pad, uh, Padme says, or no, Anakin says, you're so beautiful. Padme says, it's because I'm so in love with you. And Anakin <laughs> says, no, it's because I'm so in love with you. And Padme <laughs> says, love has blinded you. And Anakin says, well, that's not exactly what I meant. And Padme says, but it's probably true. <laughs> That's her foreshadowing about how love is going to make him do terrible things, Dave. The great thing about it is that she's giving like that Natalie Portman smile, like she's in Garden State during all of it, but like <laughs> what's coming out of her mouth is nonsense. This was her rehearsal for Garden State. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, what's Anakin's fever dream about? 
That was about Padme dying. Yes, with a baby crying. Yeah. Um, uh, what executive power does the Senate vote to give Chancellor Palpatine? Um, is it mm, to create an army? No, that was uh, Attack of the Clones. Oh, okay. Is it, is it about him having limitless terms? Uh, no, he gets power over the Jedi Council. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Which he sends Anakin to, and then the Jedi Council pisses off Anakin by not doing what? Oh, they don't name him. They let him be in the council, but they don't name him a master. That is correct. Which is bullshit. Maybe. That's just, that's just antagonizing him. You already know he's trouble. Well, he's supposed to not be antagonizable. Well, that's true, but he clearly... They've been talking about how angry he is from the very beginning, so... Yeah, well, they've been against it since the very beginning. I know. <laughs> What's Yoda's assignment that takes him off Coruscant? Oh, oh. Now I'm thinking of later. Uh, I don't remember what he does at the beginning of the movie, so I'm just going to say visiting the Wookiees, because he does that at the end. That's what he does. Oh, all right. Takes backup troops to the Wookiees. So he spends the whole movie with the Wookiees, okay. Well, that's why he misses all the, I don't know, dark side what vibes or whatever. Side. Um, what, why does Palpatine call Anakin to the space opera? Um, is it to talk to him about how, uh, the Sith can control death? Yeah, that's the real reason, but what's oh. the reason that calls him there away oh. from the Jedi? Um, it's to, like, assign him to spy on the Jedis? Uh, no, he's found General Grievous. Oh. Found, in quotes. Yeah. Oh, he's Shadow so plot. hard to find. Where's General Grievous? He's over here. <laughs> Who should we send? Oh, where the oh 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 dark side. That's this movie. <laughs> um, what is the name of the Sith Master that General Palpatine tells Anakin about? Uh-oh. Who could create life with midichlorians? Oh God. Uh, I don't. I don't remember. Like it sounds like Darth Grievous, but it's not really that. It does sound like Darth Grievous. It's Darth Plagueis the one. Plagueis, grief or plague. <laughs> But yeah, he's the one that's uh, supposedly in fan canon creates Anakin out of out of midichlorians. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, that's like accepted. I thought it was like part of the extended universes that like that's how Anakin was created. It was, but then it was jettisoned, and now the fact that he's referenced in this movie, which is still canon, is our last hope that that plot still exists. I mean, if there if it's never mentioned again, can't you just then assume it exists? Probably, but I mean we won't be i don't think revisiting the prequel mythology for a while now no i can't imagine it being part of the force awakens <laughs> um who tells the jedi council that chancellor palpatine is actually darth sidious anakin does he does he does the right thing for once who deflects the force lightning that causes palpatine scarring oh um is it mace windu right before he dies it is mace windu right before he dies mm, samuel jackson's really good in that scene i think do you know they? He got a purple lightsaber because. Oh, didn't he just sec- ask for it? Yeah, in the second movie, he wanted to make sure he could see himself in all the wide shot <laughs> battle scenes. It really it makes such a big difference in that stupid scene because all the other lightsabers are the same color, and you're like, yeah, go Samuel Jackson. <laughs> what is Order sixty six? Oh, to kill all of the Jedi. Yes, the clone troopers kill all the Jedi. What is Ominous Anakin's? Numbering. What is Anakin's first task as Darth Vader? Um. Oh, it's not to kill Mace Windu because that's what Palpatine does. Oh, oh, he kills all, he kills all the kids. He does. He kills all the younglings <laughs> of the Jedi Temple. He has no problem with it whatsoever. <laughs> nope. What is Anakin's second task as Darth Vader? Oh, oh, that I don't know. Um, to whatever sends him to the lava planet. I don't yes, know. Yes, that's correct. To go but, get General Grievous. 
He uh, kills all the separatist leaders. Ah. Oh yeah. At this point, General General Grievous is, is dead. Ooh, oh, okay, I skipped that right. question. Who kills General Grievous on Upatel? Did, didn't you say Palpatine did? No, no, he doesn't. Oh. Oh. He orchestrates. Oh, oh, doesn't Obi Wan? He does. That's with right. The primitive blaster because he gets disarmed. Obi Wan Kenobi gets disarmed at least once in every single prequel film. <laughs> not really a good jedi i know even with like jango fett who has no jedi powers disarms him in the second and then that's the fight scene that he gets away from on the iguana right uh that that's this one in this movie yeah with uh general grievous yeah giant iguana bird bird creature Mm -hmm. um okay yeah the second task that anakin had as darth vader was to kill all the separatist leaders so that technically ends the war wait but weren't all the separatist leaders on palpatine's side so uh, basically, uh, General pa- Palpatine has to get, gain control of the Senate, get rid of the Jedi, and then end the war. Yeah, to make the Galactic Empire. So he can ki- he kills his allies to make it possible. Yes, it basically he he kills all of his allies. So he's basically he didn't set up Darth Maul to fail necessarily, but uh, he has Anakin kill Dooku. He lets them know where General Grievous is. And then he has Grievous move all the separatist leaders to the lava planet to basically wait until he has everything in place so somebody could come kill him. Wow. What a jerk. Yeah. I'm not saying like this is necessarily George Bush era politics, but it was interesting <laughs> coming across that. Oh, no, no. There's the whole part. I mean, this might be a question later, but the whole part where Anakin's like, if you're not with, if you're not with me, you're my enemy. That was, yeah, rip, ripped from the headlines it was. Ripped from the headline. Who sends the message from the Jedi Temple telling all living Jedi to go into hiding? Oh, I don't know, Yoda probably? No, it's Obi-Wan. Oh, well, he did something right for once. Yeah, yeah good, good for him. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right, he, he's, like, doing, he's sending it as like a hologram thing. Yeah, and that's when he also sees the, the, the hologram of the youngling killing. Yeah. What are Anakin's last words to Obi-Wan Kenobi? Oh, is it, I hate you? It is, I hate you. <laughs> He's such a spoiled teen. <laughs> Who conspires with Yoda and Obi-Wan to keep the twin Skywalkers safe? Um, I don't remember his first name, but Jimmy Smith's Organa. Yeah, I would have actually accepted Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith. <laughs> Bail Organa. Yeah, well, that, that last name comes back, as you might. <laughs> right. Uh, who does uh, the Emperor tell Darth Vader was responsible for Padme's death? Oh, um, maybe Obi-Wan? Anakin is. Wait, You killed her in your anger. Oh, damn. Yeah, no, it's cold. So cold. And then he, like, doesn't remember it, but also doesn't question it until, like, much later. I mean, it also makes no sense that it's like she lost her will to live because her husband turned out to be a dick, even though she's having children right now. Kind of a convenient way. She she died of a broken heart, also yeah. being the size of Natalie Portman giving birth to twins. Giving birth to twins. <laughs> Very true. And the final question, who is Obi-Wan Kenobi supposed to train with on Tatooine? Oh. Oh, oh, uh, Qui-Gon. Yeah. yeah there was a reason really... he was in the series all along. Is he training with I th- I thought he was just like I thought it was just like figure out what's going on. Oh no, he's training, but since you refuse to watch the Clone Wars, you'll never know exactly why. No. Oh, I didn't know Qui-Gon was in the Clone Wars. Oh, oh, oh well, Liam Neeson <laughs> is in the Clone Wars. He's wow. It, so, back. 
they got Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor to do voices in the Clone Wars? Oh, no. There's a Ewan McGregor sound alike because he has to be in every episode. But for a special oh. three-episode series where Yoda figures out what happened to Qui-Gon, uh, Liam Neeson comes back. And are Clone Wars still considered uh, canon? They are. Okay, that's good. It's also really important to understanding Force ghosting, but we don't need to get into that here. No, is that what happens in the first Star Wars when Obi-Wan just disappears? Yeah, when people disappear. Okay. If, See, he, I... if, if he didn't train with Qui-Gon Jinn while he was on Tatooine, he would not have disappeared, like Liam Neeson did not disappear in the first movie. Yeah, that's a question that I had, because most people do not disappear. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we should talk about that at some point. But, not now, that was <laughs> the Revenge of the Sith Retention Quiz. You did pretty well. Yay! You got the, I... if not the word-for-word answers, you got the, the general feel of the movie. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm going to confess my helpful source, which is the podcast uh, Griffin, da- Griffin and David present, where they talk about all of the Tenet Menace movies in great detail, which has helped me retain a lot of the information from my rewatch. Yeah, it's a big political mess. I could have asked you to name literally any of the Separatist leaders, but I think oh my that God. was a Or even any of the other Jedi. Oh, man, yeah. That the only one I could do is Kit Fisto, because they talk about it on this podcast all the time, and it's a hilarious name. Kit Fisto is pretty great. Yeah, but I don't know anything about who he is or who he does in the movie. Welcome back to another Star Wars retention quiz. This is where I ask uh, plot-based questions from the Star Wars films to one of our podcasters. This installment will be Mr. Neil Miller versus Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Ooh. I stuttered several times just trying to call it Star Wars, but I guess its canonical name is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. But just the first Star Wars. Um, all right. The first one, yeah. Just the first one. Got it. Neil, what so happened? So Phantom Menace? Sorry. What? Okay. Oh, Just sorry. <laughs> Joanna Robinson's here too, everybody. <laughs> she's going she's gonna to help Neil along, but hopefully hopefully he won't need it. The uh, force what? is with me. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> or at least not until the end. We'll see when you discover the force along this, along this path. <laughs> um, what happens in the upcoming crawl, in the opening crawl, that is now the plot of an entire spinoff film? Oh, the stealing of the Death Star, or at that point, just the battle station uh, plans, and then they're given to Princess Leia, who eventually hides them in R2-D2. Yeah, you were really close. That's the the plot of Rogue One. Yes, they do call it the Death Star in the opening crawl, though. Oh, they do? Okay. Because they never call it the Death Star in the whole rest of the movie. No, I think somebody says to Vader that they can't find the Death Star plan. The Death Star plans are nowhere on board. They definitely Mm. call it a Death Star. I already lost this thing, didn't I? Well, you keep on doing it by being overly, like, you could have just been like, they stole the plans. And it'd be like, boom. <laughs> That's one of the key right. things about A New Hope, is it doesn't overdo any of these plot points. Um, where's Princess Leia headed before Darth Vader's Star Destroyer intercepts her? Uh, she's going to meet Ben Kenobi. No. She's going to Tatooine, isn't she? No. Or Naboo, or whatever that stupid planet's called. Uh, Alderaan? She is going to Alderaan. Oh, that was what I thought it was, and then I answered poorly. 
She um, was looking for love in all the wrong places. She was. <laughs> and then never got there. Never got back to Alderaan. Uh, spoiler for right. A New Hope. Uh, I guess all all the way through. How and does kind of, and kind of space balls and kind of space balls. Um, <laughs> how does Princess Leia smuggle the Death Star plans away from Darth Vader? She hides them in R two D two. She does. Who could have just been like, "Hey, your brother is on that planet down there. Isn't this fortunate?" <laughs> but he doesn't. Yeah, um, I never understood why the droids don't remember anything. Maybe they their minds wiped. C three PO does at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Oh, okay. R2-D2 is just a dick. I'm glad we're not doing that movie, because I don't remember that movie at all. <laughs> Dave has a theory. Are we going to talk about this some other time? We about... are going to talk about this. Okay. About I'll how R2 is just a withholding little dick. <laughs> um, C-3PO waves at a glint of light in the desert that ends up being a glint of what type of Tatooine transport? Uh, so, uh, shit. It's what the little dudes, scavengers, use. Ooh. If maybe get the name of the scavengers, and I'll, I'll get you halfway there. Oh, no. What are they? Untini? Nope. What? I There's a hint? Untini. No, I don't remember yeah, what their names that's are. That's what they say. It's the Jawas. It's a Jawa Jawas. sand crawler. Um, I was going to say sand people, but those are the dudes from the other part of the movie. That's true. This is the sand crawler that has Jawas inside sand of it. Sand crawler. Right. Instead of the sand people which ride Banthas. And that's where they go into the sand crawler uh, when they're captured and they meet um, the dude from Daft Punk who's in there, I believe. Sure, yeah. I would, I would believe that. <laughs> one, of, one of the droids looks like the dude from, Dad, from Daft Punk. That's all I know. Daft Punk probably takes that as the highest compliment. <laughs> Um, who at the Skywalker homestead wants a translator that speaks bocce? Uh, his aunt, Aunt Beru. That is correct. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Why does what, Aunt Beru want a bocce-speaking droid? I don't know. That's never cleared She's up. She's trying to brush up on her bocce. Or if it was cleared up, it was in the now-deleted expanded universe material. I should never say it was not cleared up, because chances are, if it's the original films, someone's cleared it up at some point. Uh, what's the only line of the message from Leia that Luke accidentally prized from R2-D2? Uh, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. Yes. You're my only hope, but close enough. Oh, you're my only hope? Um, okay. uh, what plan There's, is... That scene is where Luke looks very lecherously at Leia's, uh, you know, hologram It's definitely form. the creepiest part of yeah. their, their little... Because the, everybody makes a big deal out of them kissing, but she just, like, pecks him on the cheek a couple times. Like, tell me you haven't done that with a relative. So... And then there's, like, considering they cut the scene with him going and hanging out with his friends at the station, mm-hmm. uh, there, you, you get the idea that maybe Luke has, like, not seen a woman in a long time. Yep. He is living out there on a farm of some kind. Yeah. Va- vapor farm? A vapor, vapor farm? farm? Yeah. Moisture farm. Bonus points? Moisture farm. That, I don't get any points. Okay. Well, you would presumably need one to have the other. <laughs> we're we're going to be loose and fast with points on this one. Um, <laughs> what plans does Luke have that his uncle dashes by having him stay on another season? Uh, to go to the academy. He does want to go to the academy. The indiscriminate academy. Yep. Like, they never say what the academy is, but he wants to go there. Presumably some sort of 
academy that would le- easily lead to the rebellion because Biggs ends up in the rebellion. Yeah, some kind of pilot academy. Although it's interesting, the rebellion has to hide. Yet they have like a school that you could just apply to if you're just a kid. Yeah. So that's weird. Maybe it's like you know, certain people just happen to come from certain schools, so it'd look weird if they're just like blow mm. up the academy. It would be like if we were like, well, blow up Princeton. They've made enough asshole politicians. <laughs> or, or maybe we should blow up Princeton. Who knows? Um, how are we first introduced to Obi-Wan Kenobi? Um, he screams at the sand people. He does. And he's got a robe on. And at that point, he's just old Ben, the crazy wizard. It's pretty great. I like to th- picture that that is actually Alec Guinness and uh, Stuntman. Like waving his hands over his head and going, woo. Um, what does Obi-Wan Kenobi tell Luke happened to his father? Uh, he was killed by Darth Vader. And that is correct. And what does Obi-Wan give to Luke, supposedly on the wishes of Anakin? Uh, the lightsaber. Yeah. Which seems really like a bad idea to just hand this like farm kid this lightsaber. Because it seems dangerous. It does. But here you go. Just try it out. See what happens. One of my favorite Tumblr memes, Star Wars Tumblr memes, is the uh, Anakin burning up in the lava from Revenge of the Sith. And it says, I hate you. Give my, si- my lightsaber to my son when he's old enough. <laughs> because it's on, it never, at no point does Anakin say anything like that or even know he has a son at this point. Which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, revisionist history. Um, speaking of not revisionist history, what doesn't Grand Mo- why doesn't Grand Moff Tarkin need to worry about the Imperial Senate? Because uh, the the Emperor dissolves it like he right does. at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that's he's just like screw government. That's basically we all we that. hear from the Emperor in in the first movie. Just gets rid of the entire Imperial Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, how does Luke deduce that he needs to rush back home? Uh, because the they find the sand crawler and it's been attacked by stormtroopers and he realizes that it's the droids they're following so they're going to go find the people that bought the droids which was Uncle Owen perfect that was a perfect correct answer oh yeah uh, where do Obi-Wan and Luke find a pilot that is willing to take them to Alderaan uh, the cantina of Moss Eisley the spaceport yeah that was kind of an easy one this one is a little nitpicky, but if it's stuck in your head, you'll be fine. How many systems does Dr. Cornelius Evazan have the death sentence on? Oh, it's like 12 or 13. It is 12 systems. Yes. Nice. <laughs> um, why does Greedo confront Han Solo? Uh, he's been sent there by Jabba to collect uh, a debt. That is correct. Uh, where does Princess Leia tell Grand Moff Tarkin the rebel base is before he blows up Alderaan? Oh, I remember this because it's a really dumb planet name. It's Dantooine. That is correct. Because it sounds like Tatooine. Dantooine. I'm like, you just made that up. That's not a real thing. I think they go there and they find an abandoned rebel base. So right. Totally it is a real place, but, but it like, doesn't seem real. Yeah, it's a, weird, a weak planet name. Um, why should you let the Wookiee win? Because he tears people's arms out if he loses. That's correct. It's a really dark portrait of, of how Chewie is as like a friend and competitor. It is a dark portrait of Wookiee dumb in general, I think. Right. Wookiees, you always consider them to be like, you know, like gentle giants. But when you think about them, like 
tearing someone's arms out over something so small as a chess game. It's real dark. It's not the life day principles I was taught as a child. That's true. The life day principles versus how they're treated in the expanded universe are like very different. But we'll 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 maybe get there later. Um, uh, <laughs> Neil, that's no moon. What is it? That's the Death Star. That is correct. I just like asking that question. <laughs> uh, where do our heroes hide when the Death Star pulls them in with its tractor beam? Uh, underneath the floor, near the entrance, there is like a smuggling area underneath the hallway. Yes, floor panels, smuggling. Those were the key words. Mm. He never thought he'd be smuggling himself. It's true. Although I want to know how tall those panels are because Chewie was obviously like standing straight up underneath them. Yeah, I think we get to uh, who disappears down one later. No, we get to see Chewie standing in one in Empire while he's doing okay. repairs. So they are really deep. They're deep, deep smuggling holes. Um, when Luke, Han, and Chewie are trying to rescue the princess, what is Obi-Wan Kenobi doing? He's disabling the tractor beam by shutting down one of the power cores. Yes. Again, a completely accurate, correct answer. Um, uh, what's Neil, th- Neil, for the record, you're doing way better than Patches and I did. <laughs> um, I think I, well, I, I lucked out. I got the easiest movie. Like this movie is really easy to retain because not a lot actually happens in it. I could ask you the number of the prison block and be super nitpicky, but instead... Uh, was, I know it was on level five. That, that's a good start. <laughs> instead, I'm going to ask, what's Leia's plan for escaping the prison block? Um, she's the one who takes him down the garbage chute. She is. Yeah. Well, it's kind of an impromptu plan. But she definitely does it because they have no other plan, so I'm going right. it, to credit it to her. Yeah, for sure. Um, how does the Death? How does the Death Star finally discover the location of the Rebel base? How's Death? Oh, they put a tracker on the Millennium Falcon when it escapes. Yeah. How wide is the Womp Rat-sized target the Rebellion has to hit to destroy the Death Star? It is two meters. That is correct. Keepers, oh. Neil. <laughs> yeah. What is Luke's call sign? Red 5. Yes. What? (laughs) (laughs) And the final question. How does Darth Vader end up spinning off into space? He gets shot by... Or no, he... Biggs shoots the dude... The the TIE fighter next to him and it bumps him. And he... he, I, I, I don't know how physics works, but... He then hurls into space. Bumps is correct, but it's even more yeah. hilarious that Han blows up one of his wingman and the other one panics and just swerves into oh, his Oh, that's right. No, it's, it wasn't Biggs. It was Han that, that comes and shoots him. I always forget that Han comes back. It's very... <laughs> you forget that That should have been the question back. then. <laughs> <laughs> Who comes back and earns his medal at the end of the movie? It's crazy. <laughs> um, it's very slapstick, Darth Vader's departure from, from mm-hmm. that movie. And I believe his last line is, what? <laughs> yeah, that, I, I distinctly remember that one. There's just a lot of funny, weird... <laughs> like, if it was, you know, made in modern day, it would just be like a WTF moment where... He would actually say it. He's I want like, to hear James Earl Jones do that. About to bring his sword down on like the enemy's head and then like trips and falls on it. Rolls <laughs> off a cliff. Yeah. 
So uh, when I had a friend in, I'm going to say middle school, yeah, late middle school, so like 7th, 8th grade, uh, two friends. One, I haven't I, like uttered their name out loud for like five years, so give me a second. Jeremy Bradford and Nathan Parkhill. There we go. And uh, Jeremy was like really into math, and Nathan was sort of trying to, you know, figure out what he wanted to do in life and had a like a very technical mind and the all thing the thing that we could all just, like sort of come together about is talking about Star Wars occasionally and uh, Nathan's way into it uh, wasn't so much about like the plot or sword fighting or guns or starships but about very specifically about the mechanics of each of the starfighters and what uh, each one of their weapon mounts was and how many pilots it could hold and if you were to put two and you like race each other and you know through some sort of asteroid field which one would statistically have a better chance of making it through due to speed and maneuverability or that sort of thing and so these were the debates that would like introduce me um, to Star Wars and with that. Uh, They were always just the movies before to me and through the understanding of the ships uh, and like things like the TIE Fighter and X-Wing video games, which were also coming out at the time, um, is sort of how I found my way into the expanded universe is through this very technical thing. Um, But when I got into the expanded universe and started reading the novels, which are much more character based and coming across characters like Thrawn or Mara Jade that would really like grasp my interest or something like Shadows of the Empire, which really got into uh, not only like a video game where I could play as like a ripoff Han Solo while Han Solo was technically frozen in carbonite, but also added this whole other chapter um, uh, with uh, the Black Sun and whatnot that became a novel. That was all interesting to me, but as I pursued the expanded universe further and further, I got to things that were like the Jedi Academy novels. And at that point, things became too far disassociated from uh, what had made the movies exciting to me uh, when I first saw them. And it sort of felt like that was the fringe of Star Wars that became a fringe too far. And so it's been interesting as, you know, the 90s turned into the 2000s and everybody realized that Star Wars was a cultural thing and not a nerdy thing, that there are still these layers of the Star Wars onion that are considered, like, too niche for, you know, modern-day audiences. So you could have Olivia Munn doing her Chewbacca impression and everybody understands that culturally on the late-night shows, but, you know, not everybody's going to be able to tell you that the A-Wing is the fastest, you know, resist- or rebel resistance fighter uh, in terms of speed. So I guess I was wondering for you guys if you have a similar, like, small pocket of Star Wars that, like, really interests you uh, and then an opposing thing that's just like is a step too far. Like I don't really care about the Jedi Academy and what happens after the New Republic. I'm sure all these young Padawans, you know, that are now deleted from continuity, struggled with the dark side. But uh, I wasn't necessarily willing to read several novels to to get to the end of their arc because it wasn't about necessarily Han, Luke, and uh, Leia, who were the characters that I had uh, mm. connected with. It's pretty tough for me to pass threshold of too geeky it's part of why you know in my defense of phantom menace it's about having all of these details having this like you know we were talking after we did our phantom menace quiz we talked about aura Singh having a cameo 
in the movie, which I swear I, I did not look this up, but that she was introduced before Phantom Menace because I felt like I knew who she was or I quickly learned who she was. I don't know why she was there. It's very confusing, but it's also cool that she just shows up in one shot and took on a life of her own uh, in, in expanded universe. And I think she's in the Clone Wars show. Is that right? Yes. Um, so yeah, it's kind of difficult for me to figure out what might be too geeky. I guess too geeky would be midichlorians. <laughs> you know, I want to meet the person out there who's like, I'm really deeply invested in midichlorian <laughs> studies and where, you know, where who discovered them, uh, where it came from. I just think it seems like the kind of geeky thing I'd really latch on to. It's I find it very funny and an enjoyable part of Phantom Menace because it's like, why did we need this? Why did you think we needed this, George Lucas? What is going through your head right now? Uh, uh, okay. And the can, fact that it exists is really cool. Can I describe an episode of The Clone Wars to you and you tell me if it's too stupid? or Sure. Too, okay, so Anakin and Obi-Wan travel to a distant planet that might be another plane of existence where what? they meet three people, the father, the son, and the daughter. And the father controls the son and the daughter. The son is the living embodiment of the dark side of the force. And the daughter is the living embodiment of the light side of the force. And the father falls ill. And so Anakin needs to prove he's the chosen one by stopping the son and the daughter from fighting. Step too far in explaining the force? Yeah. It's all a step too far. But you'd think if you, if you were truly geeky and wanted to know the nooks and crannies of the Star Wars universe, this stuff would kind of you know, invigorate you in some way, but no, not for me and no, not for anyone else really. Okay. So this is where I get to come off as like the worst Star Wars fan, right? Because I am not involved in any of the EU at all. I've never read a Star Wars novel, comic book, video. I've never played a video game. I haven't watched a single episode of any of the animated series. Um, I've only seen the films <laughs> and I'm to read uh, shadow of the empire, Joanna. Is it? Or... It's time for you to meet Prince Shizor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Dash Rendar. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with what Dave was saying, but on, but on a much like more amateur level of like, I don't know that I'm interested. And maybe that's my problem with the prequels. I don't know that I'm interested in really expanding outside the core um, crew of, of who we meet in the original trilogy. And that's why probably why one of the million reasons why Obi-Wan is the most interesting character to me in the prequels. And, but I am interested in what's coming, uh, and to see how this is no spoiler, no spoilers, uh, to see how those threads connect. I'm not like disinterested in that, but as it goes, you know, as far, you know, Mandalorians and midichlorians and Padawans and Academy and all of that. I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't really do it for me. Also, we didn't talk about this, but the, the, um, what was it? The Galactic Senate? Is that what it was called? Yeah. Yeah. There is no law and order in that Galactic Senate. Jar Jar Binks is just like, I suggest we give a lot of power to the Chancellor. The Chancellor's like, yep, got that power now. Or like, Amidala is like, vote of no confidence in in uh, Valorum. And and, everyone, and he's like, well, I guess that's it then. I Can't mean, I, with that. Well, they don't pass any – anyway, there are no votes. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is, is the farther we expand – the least interest, the less interested I get. Well, so I'm, I don't to mean to like Star Wars Obi Wan for the Xbox. I mean, I don't mean to like wet blanket this whole thing, but I just that's true. I think of of a lot of things. I'm not interested. Well, 
in a lot of expanded universe. That's why I think it's always weird when someone calls Star Wars like a geeky thing. It's not really a geeky thing. People at Esquire used to call Star Wars geeky to me. And I'm like, it's not. It's kind of like the oh, biggest thing you mean thing like, ever. like mainstream bozos it's like the most me. mainstream sci-fi <laughs> like thing that's ever happened. And it doesn't take very much investment to like know who Luke Skywalker is. No, I and agree. I When someone's like, I'm such a geek. I love Star Wars and like Game of Thrones and like Lord of the Rings. Uh, congratulations. You can name three of the biggest stories that have come out of our storytelling universe in the past right. like 200 years. Good job. But like what makes – why, I, that's why I like Star Wars. Star Wars can be enjoyed by every single person on this planet. You can talk about Luke Skywalker in all the movies or the Anakin Skywalker, and everyone pretty much gets it. Uh, or what a lightsaber is. The fact that you don't have to explain it, that's amazing. My grandma probably knows what a lightsaber is. Well, I might be pushing it. But, um, <laughs> but, but, then, but then for us, for me, geeky people, there is like, well, so how do you build a lightsaber? Well, you have to find the crystal that you need, and the crystals are very difficult to find. <laughs> am I, Dave, am I correct in this? Uh, uh, am I remembering that uh, lightsaber construction is a very delicate task? I feel like yes. maybe in... Well, it depends. it depends how delicate you want to be with it, but yes. I'm trying to remember well, I mean... what text contains the information about Luke <laughs> going to find the crystal that... Maybe it was Shadow of the Empire that where he finds what the, so arcane sacred text. Green. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean, see. there's there's the you, the Dave, the Stephen Colbert's the world, and I think that's. I mean, like, I don't think there's anything wrong, obviously, in in being interested but in the universe. If, right. But but it, doesn't it get? To, I mean, my sister used to read the Star Wars novels, and I don't know why I never picked them up, but she, you know, she devoured them like these little paperbacks. Um, does it never get diluted? You have so many different authors sort of dipping their hand in this story. You just don't that- read the bullshit, right? Like I don't like the I and this is weird because all the all the all of my friends in elementary school read Tales from Jabba's Palace. I and I read that too, I think. But Tales of the uh, Bounty Hunters. I was never really into the Bounty Hunters. I'm not an IG88 Fan. He's the only one that I can name, really. Yeah, he was in Bosk, Shadows of the Empire. Bounty Hunter. Yeah, well, the, I mean the the fake one that Leia is, but oh wait, no, Bosk is a bounty hunter. No, yeah, Bosk no, he's is a, a lizard. He's like guy. a reptilian one. And yeah. there's the one in uh, Attack of the Clones that I just watched. That was like a lady, but also a lizard. Oh uh, yes, <laughs> uh, the shape changer. Yeah, it's like Vem something. Vem wait, is something. that the one who pricks him with the poison or shoots the yeah? Poison? She gets shot down by Django, but before oh. she can reveal who hired her, right. and I think Obi Wan, yeah, cuts her arm off. Anyway, um, classy, classy, classy. But hey, well, what, maybe what's it's the, like, what's the difference for Star Wars, Joanna, between you and like? Because usually, I guess you know what you don't. Do you read expanded stuff like the Silmarillion or Duncan Egg Adventures for your other big uh, fantasy <laughs> obsessions? Uh, I did read the I did read the Silmarillion. Um, I didn't like love the Silmarillion, but I read it. Uh, I haven't read the Duncan and the Egg Adventures, but the difference is Tolkien wrote the Silmarillion and George R. R. Martin wrote the Duncan Egg Adventures. Do you know what I mean? But like, it's from the source. Yeah, it's 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 not. Exp- I mean, I guess it's expanded universe, but really, it's just like supplemental. I, I, there's a weird difference there for me, but um, 
I, I, maybe oh, I think the closest I can I can think of are like the Dragonlance books that I loved as a kid, and there were just like certain authors that I would read in the Dragonlance, and it wasn't that I followed characters, I just followed authors, and so Dragonlance has like a, m- a million installments, but to me it didn't feel like a unified thing when you have so many different authors weighing in on their interpretation of a character. That yeah, bothers but that's how me. comic books function, right? Like we like people spinning off characters into their own adventures, seizing to something that they, you know, find interesting about the design and then exploiting it for narrative purposes. I'm thinking of, you know, I like reading about the different Jedi who sit in the Jedi temple, you know, Kai Adi Mundi, whatever, (laughs) you know, those guys like what I would read a book about Kai Adi Mundi. What is he all about? Like, why does he have a crazy cone head? Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, exactly. We love Kai Adi Mundi. (laughs) What's he up to? What did he do? He died. He did. I think we see him die. It's one very unfortunate. I wonder if he has Gungan ears tucked up in his cone head. It's just a (laughs) callback. Actually, Um, I think he's he fights in an underwater Clone Wars battle. And I think he has to have his entire head encased. Just, you know, if we if we cared about Kai Moody. Wait, wait, wait. Can I say really quickly before I forget? This has nothing to do with anything, and I'm sorry, but I just want to say it now in case I don't remember it next time we talk about Star Wars. I just watched Attack of the Clones, and I genuinely laughed out loud when Amidala had her shirt half ripped off her, her to, like, in a perfect crop top formation. Some creature claws at her, and she goes, ow! And then she has, she's wearing a crop top. All right. Wait, that it's ripped? I thought it was designed that way. No, she starts with a full <laughs> shirt, and then, and then a creature claws at her, and then all of a sudden it's a crop top. So I don't want to sound yeah. too skeezy here, but I was really happy with that decision when I was a teenager. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, there was like <laughs> anything to help Natalie Portman do it well in that movie. I was. It's okay also a little with. more modest than the. Leia the Bikini, Bikini? So yes, it's true. I think you're giving giving the people what they want in a little bit of a way, but not being totally rude about it. Well, and now, the, and now Ray, Ray is just going to be clothed like head to toe. You're not going to see anything. The interesting thing is before they phased out or started, started phasing out Slave Leia, uh, that that version of Amidala and Slave Leia are the ones that would do like a sexy dance together at the Disney like dance Star Wars dance nights. Oh, because that's the sexiest. That's the sexiest uh, Amidala ever is. That's yeah. That's the least. But it's also the most badass. Yeah, she's great. She's great. She can move around and she can shoot blasters and she can be attacked by like the dumbest monsters in the Star Wars universe. (laughs) Hands down, (laughs) the least pounds of clothing she's ever wearing. Starship Troopers moment. Yeah. Also, when she okay, Phantom Menace. She's wearing a very heavy velvet robe when she like attacks the palace to take it back. She she you that's know spy, that's spycraft right there. You know she's uh, she's got ridiculous sleeves. Just like push them out of the way to use her blaster. It's stupid. I thought it was really cute because Natalie Portman was kind of tiny and she was wearing a big robe. <laughs> so Joanna's very answer cuddleful. for the nichest thing Sorry. is queen queenly fashion. Yeah, queenly fashion. That's, a, that's right around gender lines. Wait, what was yours, Dave? What was mine? Like the what thing, was pushing it over the edge? Well, oh, I can't do I can't do Jedi Academy expanded universe. I could do almost anything else. Gotcha, gotcha. Or then uh, I'm uh, I don't know how I'm going to do with some of the upcoming uh, like alien shit we're going to have to don't deal with. Don't go there, girlfriend. Yeah, do not don't go there. It's just, it's just 
lock but it I down. Will. But no, no, but Patches is right. Cause like I read Gotham, speaking of academies, I read Gotham Academy, which is basically an EU, you know, it's an EU Batman story in comic book form. So there should be no, nothing stopping me from reading Jedi Academy or. But not even that you would read the books. Like I didn't read a ton of EU growing up or even, you know, in the last five, seven years, I've been reading some of the comics uh, this time around since the relaunch and nothing's really doing it for me. I'm much more interested in reading like the visual visual guides to the ships or that kind of stuff. The detailed construction that probably some prop master had to think through and give to old Rinsler, the keeper of the, of the info. <laughs> um, and like Dave, we kicked this off talking about the ships and I'm really interested. Like, what is the best ship? I would like to sit down and have a beer with someone and talk about the ships of Star Wars. Yeah. That is, that's interesting. They're all so different. And to find room in, in the space for the, the Lambda-class T4, the Imperial Shuttle, and, and the A-Wings, and all these different ships. I mean, it takes so much work and design to do it all. And they're, but they're all there. So they all function back and forth with each other in some way. They have a relationship to the movies, all this design, and go somewhere as opposed to just being about excess, yeah. uh, which is what I think and now they're, now they're... and Revenge of the Sith is. Like what I hate is General Grievous, who is, you think, <laughs> the geekiest thing in the entire Star Wars universe, but it's overload. It has no purpose. It's like, four lightsabers, sure. You love lightsabers. Throw an armor on there. <laughs> <laughs> Grievous was really good in the 2D animated Clone Wars shorts where they actually made him like a physical threat. But what you I always... deal with the breathing. Well, what I always hate about Grievous is that by the time we catch up with him, he's like old and dying. And it's like the end of the Clone Wars where he was like for years like the most horrible threat. Well, don't worry. You're probably going to get uh, Star Wars anthologies, uh, general Grievous at some point. Or, no, wait, what are they called now? They're not called anthologies. Right? Uh, Star Wars stories. Uh, Star Wars stories. General Grievous. What was he like as a boy? General Grievous, it's... a Star Wars story. Wait, wait, I'm so confused. He's in uh, Revenge of the Sith, right? Yes. yes. And I'm looking at him and he looks like a droid, but he's not a droid? Well, he... he has a human heart. Yeah, uh... he has his gut sack and his eyes and his are still his original. I think he's kind of the gut reasoning sack. behind... <laughs> How did they bring Darth Vader back to life after Anakin basically melted away in the pits of uh, oh my a, God, Mustafar? Is yeah, that right? Uh, yes. There's a <laughs> there's a awesome. um, like sort of a line through a lot of the expanded universe and or the new expanded universe. Now they've like re deleted it and started repopulating of uh, like android experimentation. Like there's always like some guy that's trying to like push push the limits of being an android so I, I think that's like one of the major star wars themes for me it's interesting that now that it's like re-expanding uh, like it's and it has a focus like a group of people who are like directing the story like all these things are staying uniform so patches if we were to sit down and talk about like the strongest ships you could then go and like jump in and play Battlefront, and the fact that we had the conversation about the ships in the movies would be able to inform your decision on what ship you choose to fly because you mm. would know which ones were faster and which ones had like more weapons power. Which is why I always liked Battlefront, and I'm very envious of people who are currently playing it. Maybe I should upgrade my my <laughs> gaming system. That's what I'm doing after this is over. That's awesome. It's gonna be so much fun. But yeah, it's it's interesting now that everything's going to be aligned. I'm wondering if there's going to be that 
too far that there used to be for me because it sounds like everything's going to be kept so in canon that I don't like. I don't think I'm going to find myself uh, ha- like in the middle of a character that I haven't already been marketed to think is essential. I'm glad I don't have this problem. Yeah, maybe you're glad. That's another conversation entirely. Oh, wait, wait. Can I ask you real quick, Patches? Are you going to continue this for? All of the new Star Wars films, or no. is this just an experiment you're doing with Episode Seven? This is just a seven okay. experiment. Cool. Because I'm, I, I'm uh, impressed. I'm very impressed. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I hope I, can, I I will remain as geeky in the aftermath. I'm sure. I hope it doesn't go so well that this becomes an experience for all the Star Wars movies. You're like, that was great. I was thrilled every second. And we, then we have to just never talk to you again. No, but we all know that it's better. I mean, if we've all been to film festivals, so we all know it's better to go into a movie cold. Well, that's a different thing right? because that is a movie we've never heard of. And this is the biggest movie of all time that comes with mm. a tremendous amount of baggage and interest in true. True, true. Um, yeah. people getting excited for. It. And this, what exactly we're talking about. You know, what's geeky about Star Wars is that people talk about it years after and are continuing to dig into the text and, like, look to the movies and exploit every little detail. And um, people bring that in anticipation of a new movie and can do that again because of the the stretched iconography, the connectivity of this, of the marketing material and everything we've seen previously. So I miss out on that uh, geekiness. Patches, will you do us a favor on Star Wars Eve? Will you record what you think the the movie will be about? A few people have asked me to do that, but I don't yeah. have any ideas. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Nothing? I don't Nothing know. has seeped through? Like, do you no. not even want to, like, think about it? Because then... Well, that's know. the thing. I've, like, come across images, and yeah. I try not to dwell on them. So by the exercise okay. of trying yeah. to conceive right. it is almost creating spoilers where there aren't any deflating the movie through imagination that's a good point i would just i think it would be fun if someone were like had never heard of game of thrones but were like okay so there's i don't know a blonde lady and you know like that's kind of fun but But that's that's yeah this this kind of plays into what we're talking about here too which is you know do people hate phantom menace because they are geeks about star wars that they've reached a certain point where every single thing matters or would you be better off glossing over like midichlorians is cool of taking at face value but if you start thinking of it as a ripple effect through everything that you know about star wars history and i'm taking the opposite opinion because the more you learn about midichlorians the more they make sense which i learned while making that video about midichlorians wait so wait, this goes question. back to the beginning of our conversation are you the biggest <laughs> midichlorian fan <laughs> Um, I don't know. I just, it's an essential part of what the force is. Here's a question for you. Midichlorians, other than like, I don't know, whatever genetic testing resulted in Anakin where like Shmi was, uh, is that her name? Shmi? Yeah. Shmi. Shmi. From Hook? Shmi. Peter Pan? Yes. Shmi. Um, like, uh, was, was, I don't know, impregnated with midichlorians. Like he's pure, he's pure midichlorian plus lady but like midichlorians are passed down genetically right but aren't jedis not supposed to procreate so how do midichlorians get passed down through the generations if jedis are not supposed to be making babies uh jedis don't pass down midichlorians genetically how uh, how are midichlorians passed on 
they, uh, I mean, to get into the expanded universe that is now gone, um, Palpatine and his Sith Master probably created Anakin uh, right, out of right. pure midichlorians. So what? they were willed. You think yeah, that I they found, inseminated I found that. her with midichlorians? Yes. I found that on a Wikipedia, like a Wikipedia as I was watching Phantom Menace. I, I read about that. But like, let's say, uh, how did Obi-Wan get midichlorians inside of him? Just by you were he was born with them. But like, is it like a recessive gene? Like his parents? It sounds like a mutation. Uh, it's it's oh. more it's more like a mutation. This is the uh, problem that people have with it. Is that it? Mean it's not like you know like Luke. You you could be anyone could be a Jedi. You're just the last one. It's like no. Basically, you if you have to have if your parents things. screw too close to the, uh, <laughs> then you will have midichlorians. <laughs> <laughs> But I think you could have, like, even if you had, like, two, four strong people having sex, which I don't think they're supposed to do, like, you could still probably get a squib out of that. Like, I don't think it's, like, red hair. <laughs> a lot of crazy shit goes down on the moisture farm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should talk about Harry Potter expanded universe. No, we don't have to. Holy okay. Shit. Cool. We'll be doing that next year, probably. Yeah, seriously. so. So I have this theory that I want to use to segue into talking about how, like, just with the smallest little kicks to the foundation of the prequels, I think they could be much more accepted parts of, like, the Star Wars canon. Because, I mean, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that argument. I was introducing this as a way through, and that is a chronological reckoning of R2-D2, knowing absolutely everything that goes <laughs> down with the Star Wars uh, Skywalker legacy, uh, in the sense that he's, like, sort of introduced about alongside with uh, Queen Amidala, He's uh, one of the uh, astromech droids on her ship, which doesn't make a ton of sense because we're sort of introduced to his model as being like things that help the X-Wings along. But I guess that's neither here nor there. The point being is that he ends up like being there when Qui-Gon brings Anakin on board and being there at the marriage of Anakin Skywalker and then at the funeral of Anakin's mom after he uh, gets her back from the Tusken Raiders and then all the way through the Clone Wars, and then at the end of Episode 3, they make it a point to have a scene where uh, C-3PO's memory is ordered wiped, and R2-D2 makes like this little beeping laugh. And then it, chronologically, he would then go on to like pretend not to know Obi-Wan Kenobi or where he's going on Tatooine, despite the fact that he spent a significant amount of time there. And then probably most glaringly in Empire Strikes Back, uh, neglects to tell Luke really anything about his true parentage and uh, fights with Yoda, despite knowing, like, being beside Yoda when Luke and Leia <laughs> were born. He was just, like, on the other side of the glass with Wait, R2-D2 was there when Luke and Leia were born? Yeah. I forgot about that. He and C-3PO and Bail Organa and uh, Luke, I'm sorry, obviously Luke was there. Yoda and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi were all like physically there. That's a crowded delivery room. Yeah. Yeah. But they were like on the other side. Like it was just the robots in the room with her, right? Uh, It was the robot and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi was there in the actual room. Oh, yeah, because Anakin saw them in his, his 
prophecy. Um, so Dave, so basically to me, this seems to be important if you think that the prequels fit in well with the original trilogy and that it all fits together seamlessly. And it reminds me of the wormhole that I fell into when I googled when does Darth Vader figure out that Luke is his son? Because it, when you're watching Empire, the implication seems to be that he hears the, new, the name Luke Skywalker and immediately figures it out. Um, but based on what he knows about his kids in the prequels, there's no reason for him to know that. Like, because he doesn't think, he doesn't realize he has two kids, much less that they survived uh, childbirth. So it's like there's like that's a glaring hole in Empire if you want to see it that way. But if you just pretend the prequels like don't have anything to do with them, which they don't because they didn't exist yet, I don't know. None of this is a problem to me. Well, I mean, I could tell you the issue of the Star Wars comic book. That... Oh, I found it. Yeah, okay, that, he, yeah. Uh, that like uh, uh, I don't I can't remember who it is who comes back to him and it was like it's Skywalker and he's like Skywalker. Yeah, Boba Fett does. <laughs> Yeah, and then I don't think he really knows about Leia until he searches Luke's feelings when like fighting with the Emperor in uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, but point being is like there's a difference between like, oops, we forgot this like continuity thing, and having a moment where you could sidestep it and say just like wipe both the droids' memories and deciding not to. Why do you think they wiped C three PO and not R two D two? Um. I think that in some way the like arch characters of the fools that are supposed to be stumbling through the grand tragedy and like commenting on things gave way to actually like them being the most accessible characters to a really young audience. Uh, something that they really doubled down on with C-3PO in like Attack of the Clones um, because they can't use Jar Jar Binks because of fan backlash. So then essentially he's the one who gets his head switched with the battle droid and it has all the weird quips like mm-hmm. I'm beside myself when he actually is literally beside himself. <laughs> um, but then because that C-3PO is slightly different than the one in the prequels and because he is so chatty in A New Hope uh, when he uh, shows up at the Skywalker uh, homestead it would be weird for him to not know things like Darth Vader made me. It no, yeah. Weird. Sorry. No, I meant not why do they write, wipe C-3PO's brain, but why did they not wipe R2-D2's brain? I think it was to make him sort of like a smug little dick. Like, you know. <laughs> it's just a weird motivation, though. Yeah. I mean, so he would know who Obi-Wan is. Well, if, if, think- if Leia has to send a message to Obi-Wan, so he, cause he does when uh, a new hope starts, R2-D2 is already withholding of information from C-3PO. He knows more than C-3PO knows. Yes. And if you think about it in terms of the prequels existing, most of the stuff Obi-Wan Kenobi says in A New Hope is lying by omission, something that he admits to through retcon in uh, Return of the Jedi. But uh, I think that keeping R2-D2, it's like if you think that the prequels are like weird and lesser echoes of the same uh, components that made up uh, the original trilogy, like the fact that Yoda shows up in Empire Strikes Back and he's sort of like a little trickster that you underestimate, but he really is the one with the most knowledge in the galaxy. I think they might have thought that R2-D2 would like slot into that role of the two fools, but like I don't know why they would never... I don't know. Keep him in a position where I don't know. Like okay, he could have like saved Alderaan like, and stuff. It's just how's weird. this for like a? Wait, how could he have saved Alderaan? 
Oh, because uh, he would have been able to... Uh, if he knows about Anne, or, or Luke's father and mm-hmm. is in contact with Luke and Obi-Wan Kenobi and he knows where all those positions are on Tatooine, they could technically like escape out in time before the Death Star gets there. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, how's this for like a kind of a fan rewriting? Like maybe because he's a robot, he's a protocol droid. He doesn't have feelings really. Like he's helpful, but he doesn't seem to like have loyalty or like a knowledge of family. Like maybe he knows this stuff and doesn't care and like doesn't make him scumbag. That's just how he's programmed. That's a possibility. And there's also the possibility that he doesn't, whatever his understanding of the universe is, doesn't include the force. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like if you don't believe in the force then you don't really see why any of these things are important or like why parentage would be important i imagine that's a weird concept to a droid who is manufactured and like given a give some sort of number name i mean luke does mentally lift him in the air and dagobah so he i guess he, he understands something to <laughs> lift him up but i yeah uh, I, I i agree with katie i, I don't think that R, like r2 is real cute and makes adorable little beeping, <laughs> beeping and booping sounds uh, you know as does bb8 but these aren't yeah humans these aren't creatures with hearts you know c3po has more of a personality than r2 does we just put a personality on r2 so you can put the withholding dick personality on r2 if you want to but i i think that's you projecting uh, Ooh, maybe you're the withholding dick, Dave. Oh, <laughs> I have never been withholding, withholding in yeah, my life. Exactly, he's the opposite. <laughs> um, he wants you to know all the things. I guess I I, I can't invalidate your argument that I'm just pasting uh, the withholding dick on him, but it does sort of, I guess, bring up the grander argument that if like you make small changes to the prequel uh trilogy you could make them better and in some cases like my r2d2 explanation or the explanation that jar jar binks is a sith lord which recently gained some reddit traction this year Uh, (laughs) well the, the interesting thing about it is it's a way of coping with the prequel trilogy and sort of recontextualizing it in a way that makes it not as bad if jar jar binks was intended to be like a secret sith apprentice and that plan was changed that makes the betrayal of jar jar binks feel a little softened not like wait greatly. what's the betrayal of jar 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 doesn't betray anybody he oh, does no, no, no. he does sort of. well, wait when is jar jar betray well he gets manipulated by palpatine hardcore right right by it putting forth emotion in the senate that that gives palpatine oh yeah it's, that's right that's right he's the one that brings up the vote that eventually gives palpatine the war powers yeah ah all right i see where this theory comes from but I mean, I, I just think that's pure fan fiction, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with fan fiction, but I don't think it's something that I'm going to take seriously. You know, it's like it's like um, seriously in that it's interesting, but not seriously in that it actually improves or changes the way I watch these movies. Like it's a theory to consider, but it's not going to affect what you see when you watch right. these movies. Not that you're really going to be watching the prequels that much anyway. Well, it's like you know, uh, Steve Buscemi's character is actually dead in The Big Lebowski. That's a great and amusing theory <laughs> that that like ninety eight percent pans out. Yeah. But uh, when I watch The Big Lebowski, I'm never ever going to watch it now, being like, "Well, that character's dead," because it's, it's yeah. a fan theory. You know? I always wonder about the people who like this. Feel like, I mean, this is off topic, but you know, when we reached peak fan theory, when they were like, "Chris Pratt in Jurassic World is that kid from the beginning of the Jurassic Park," and it was like, 
sure, nothing in the movie says it's not, but like, why is that going to help you enjoy this movie more? Exactly. Um, although the R2 thing I think is interesting because like, it is all there in the text and it does, if you're frustrated with the prequels, like you're saying, Dave, like that's one thing that if they just said wipe the protocol droid's memory, then everything would be fixed. Yeah, I would feel a lot better about this particular thing. But just like the idea that we, a certain sex of the fandom feel like they're like stuck with these movies and uh, probably a whole swath of content from like what we would call the prequel era or the Republic era, depending if we're in the universe or not. I apologize to people that makes no sense yeah. too. Um, but like they're stuck with it. So they find ways to sort of kick it into shape that doesn't make it fall apart. So mm-hmm. it's not like they're getting, uh, it's like to them and occasionally to me, we don't watch Attack of the Clones because we want to see that movie again, like and see the love story. But if there's something that we could find out about what was happening that makes us feel better about watching Attack of the Clones, that it can occasionally be interesting. And it happened a lot with the prequels with one of the expanded universe novels that sort of focused on Palpatine and his Sith master and what they were actually doing, like uh, getting a Jedi and tricking him into ordering a clone army, which is the Jedi sifo who like, Oh yeah. Is really important to the prequel trilogy, but never appears on screen. Yeah. Well, Um, important that he does one thing off screen that kicks off everything, but like is not a character. Right. Well, he's also the connection, uh, between like Dooku and back to Palpatine, like the whole yeah. what the actual machinations of the non Jedi side were sort of fleshed out in an expanded universe novel that is not canon currently. But when it was, you could read it, and the prequels suddenly made a little bit more sense. It was a struggle between two things because, like, otherwise, Attack of the Clones reads as like Obi Wan Kenobi going from place to place and just being confounded by whatever he finds, mm-hmm. and then like radioing back in, and he's either in trouble or he's not. Um, so it it's just like there was so much story in what was there for the prequels that I feel like with just the minorest changes to them, or even like if the Phantom Menace didn't exist and we started in episode two, Attack of the Clones, and had a movie that actually took place during the Clone Wars instead of jumping over them entirely, mm-hmm. I feel like would have benefited the arc of the saga benefited yes but you still have the major character problem at the center of the whole thing which is that for me Anakin sucks Anakin sucks for me there's really only one character that I human character that I care about which is Obi-Wan Kenobi and maybe two if you count Mace Windu but um that's a huge problem I definitely count Mace Windu is is a problem of personality that Star Wars works as well as it is not just because it's a really really basic let's go here and get the thing now let's go here and shoot this thing up but that it's full of these really engaging characters like Princess Leia and Han Solo and Linda Calrissian and occasionally in his brightest moments Luke Skywalker <laughs> um, you know you've got these characters that you can root for and and the writing in the prequel trilogy gets so caught up in the minutia of this world that George Lucas has built and lets the characters down in a big way. And I think the only reason that, oh, and I said this in the last podcast, the only reason that Obi-Wan stands out and Qui-Gon are because Liam and, and Ewan are bringing so much to the table and Samuel Jackson bringing so much to the table that's just not there in the script at all. So in that, under that theory, your thing would be, your, that we'd change about the prequels, you'd recast Anakin? 
And I'm, I mean, I believe that Natalie Portman was coached to give a flat delivery. I think she's a talented person. She was, I don't know where I've read this, but this is the mythos that's popped up that, that she was coached to give a very flat delivery and she did. And I, th- I think Amidala is not at all an engaging character. Yeah. So, so I, I yeah, I, she, is, she is a good actress. She's not good in these movies. Yeah. So I would say Anakin and Amidala are a huge problem. And so, but it's not just casting, it's, you know, because Natalie Portman's a great actress. So it's direction as well. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I was basically going to say something similar to it. Like I, the love story is such a huge problem. It's like the attack of the clones. It's a really big problem. But then when you get to the end of Sith and like everything that happens that sets up the original movies, it's like, just makes no sense because it doesn't matter at all, except for the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan because Hugh McGregor is selling it. And he's got that like one scene where he's yelling at him and you're like, yeah, like Moulin Rouge, she's so mad. We were all rooting he's for you. Like but, Moulin yeah. Rouge. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what it that's what he sounds like when he's uh, so upset. But I really think I mean, and I think this is what the Clone Wars is. Um, but if you make Obi-Wan the hero of these movies, like I think you really have more potential to just like have different adventures and like follow other things. Like Obi-Wan has so much more knowledge than Anakin. And then everyone, I mean, you know that Anakin is gonna become Darth Vader, but you're watching that rise kind of happen in the corners, like you're seeing it kind of develop in front of you and then you get to focus on what's actually important which is the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin like Padme is obviously there for a reason but by the end of it she isn't really like she's just kind of there as a vehicle for these twins that are going to be important yeah Yeah, exactly Um, so yeah I mean I would like to see a better romance in general but like you could really shake up the whole thing and just make it Obi-Wan's story and then you know focus everything from there as as Ewan McGregor's number one supporter I agree (laughs) Katie, you should you should give a couple episodes of the Clone Wars a try. I kind of yeah, you're kind of making me. Th- I've I've really been having a Star Wars Awakening, like rewatching everything <laughs> lately. I kind of get why people care about it now for the first time. Yeah, um, for the first time. Wow. Honestly, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I got, I don't know, I got the appeal of some of Star Wars, but like watching Empire Strikes Back the other night, I was like, oh, I I get Star Wars now. Like I I understand the like why people dress up as Princess Leia. So yeah, it's it's quite a time. Yeah, is, it, but, is it like brought you closer to Liz Lemon? <laughs> yeah, as if that were as if that were possible. Uh, yes, so much closer. <laughs> There's a few episodes of the Clone Wars where they have to go help a Mandalorian, like a uh, Duchess, and her name is Duchess Satine, like Moulin Rouge, <laughs> and she becomes romantically involved with Obi Wan Kenobi. That's yeah, awesome. I was, I was bitching on Twitter about how Obi-Wan didn't have a love interest in the prequel trilogy. And I got a million tweets about Satine. Do not love. <laughs> no, that, but also Satine from the Clone Wars. And they're like, he does. And her name's Satine. It's a hilarious Moulin Rouge joke. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, am I going to have to watch this cartoon now? Okay. Yeah. Just some of it. Not all of it. I do like cartoons. I, I don't know why I said that so dismissively, but. Um. I don't like cartoons, but I should <laughs> shot anyway. <laughs> Uh, should we talk about Empire? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I gotta write down some notes things before do we, we have. Do we have a topic on Empire? I can't remember. The, the Joss Whedon thing. That's what oh, I was trying right. to segue to. That's right. Uh, Joanna, why, why don't you explain to us why Joss Whedon doesn't like Empire? Yeah, I like it. I like okay. not having to explain things. Uh, <laughs> so, let's see. Let me just pull one thing up really quickly. Why is he so wrong? <laughs> so a couple years ago, Joss Whedon, friend of geeks everywhere, uh, betrayed the geekdom. 
<laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Calm down. This is a little strong. <laughs> no, uh, he he said that he did not like Empire Strikes Back, which many consider to be the best Star Wars film. He said he did not believe that Empire Strikes Back was a good film because it committed, quote unquote, this is something he said to Entertainment Weekly, committed the cardinal sin of not actually ending, which at the time I was appalled by and I still think it was a terrible idea. And he also uses other very strong rhetoric like, what does he say? He says it's a betrayal of trust, uh, which basically he feels like Empire concludes on a cliffhanger with, you know, Luke and Leia talking, uh, wanting to get Han back and Han being in, uh, shipped off to Jabba's palace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, uh, you know, I, I don't disagree that you know this does feel like a to be continued moment, but I, I don't at all consider it a betrayal. I, I just guess I don't have that strong of a feeling about cliffhangers. There are ways in which both TV shows and films have tried to manipulate me in that way in the past, but I just don't get that feeling of Empire. And I don't know if it's because I saw it when I was so young and unjaded. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Okay, Katie, do you feel at all frustrated or betrayed so, by the Empire? When Empire came out, like everyone knew that that uh, Jedi was coming, right? Like there was no, there was never a sense of like that might be the last Star Wars movie, right? Right. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like, I mean, it definitely is a cliffhanger. Like, there's no way that you can say like, oh, well, if that had been the last film, it would have been a satisfying ending because you don't know what's happening to Han Solo, who's like one of the most important characters. But I think what Empire does so well that made me really kind of fall for it when I watched it recently is it's so character based like it's so much about these people being friends and fighting for each other and going after each other like the whole reason Luke winds up facing off against Vader is because he's trying to go rescue his friends and Han and Leia are kind of coming around to their feelings for each other and like it does such a good job of following all of those arcs like just I think the Han and Leia arc alone like really adds so much structure to this movie that is incredibly satisfying by the end of it like that and the io9 post that had Joss Whedon's quote in it had like the final shot with uh Luke and Leia and uh, R2 and C3PO kind of looking at the uh, net. What is it? I don't know what they're looking at. Galaxy, whatever, something in space. Um, And it's such a powerful image because you're seeing all of them together. You're seeing the team united in this way that like even in A New Hope, like you kind of see everyone around each other, but there's not a sense of them like them being your squad. And it's like it's like a getting the team together movie that happens to be mostly about. I mean, they're all apart, but it's about other things. But by the end of it, you're like, yeah, everyone is here for each other. And I love that about it. There's a great episode of the British show Spaced, uh, which is created mm-hmm. by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and um, Jessica Hines. And it has the em- exact Empire ending, where you've got Simon Pegg, Jessica Hines, uh, standing by the window, uh, looking out, and then the camera pans out, and then the door closes on the camera. And it's just this love letter to Empire, which a lot of Spaced is. And uh, I-, I just... It is an amazing, I think it's an amazing ending to a movie and or an episode of Spaced and doesn't fill me with any sort of cliffhanger rage at all. Uh, so I, I don't quite get where Joss is coming from, especially when he has been known to be very manipulative when it comes to his story structure. And especially so. when you think about like, um, like the Hunger Games is kind of the most recent one in mind, like movies that are made with a cliffhanger recently, like Hunger Games has no payoff at all at the end, like the, the uh, Mockingjay part one, like you get to the end, it ends on a cliffhanger and you're like, what has happened? Like nothing has changed. Like there really are, it's like set up all for what's going to happen in the next one. And, like, even the Lord of the Rings franchise, like, gets, like does a better job of that. Like, it's not a complete story, but it is complete. Uh, there are a lot of complete arcs within it that make you feel satisfied when you get to the end of it. Right. I think that Empire, for me, is a single movie 
about like the the tragedy. I think I think maybe the tragedy of caring about your friends, but for me it was always a movie about Han Solo sort of abandoning what he's running from even from the first movie uh which is you know Jabba's bounty and deciding to you know sort of stop and stand for something because he sort of first he does it to impress Leia and keep her safe but then he does it cuz he sees uh, his friend Lando sort of turn and not do that well he also does it to save Luke in the beginning like it's not just to impress Leia well right he's sort of in it for his friends but he's his plan is to get out of Hoth like as soon yeah. as possible with like all of his credits which was his plan after we left him in a new hope and he obviously hasn't like executed it yet. So like as soon as he does and he figures out that he wants to stay, he like his past catches up with him and he gets frozen in carbonite and taken out of the game. Yeah. But uh, because he's one of our heroes, I don't feel like I th- it's like a sad ending, but I definitely I think it's definitely an ending. Like the Han Solo character doesn't develop beyond where he gets frozen in carbonite like he doesn't have anything else to do in the trilogy so that's effectively Hmm. the end of his story and that this movie is about how awesome he is i don't know i feel like and and i don't know if it's just his time in carbonite that got him there but i feel like there's a difference between the guy when she goes i love you and he goes i know there's a difference between that guy and the guy in jedi who, who says you love him don't you you love luke it's okay. It's fine. I can deal with it. Like that's a different guy yeah, for slightly. And I don't know what it is like being extremely vulnerable in the carbonite. Well, having maybe, Luke and Leia a, come It's not an arc, you know? It's not like he has something story purposeful. It's not like you could tell me but like Han Solo, I'm not sure he changes because of his actions in the third movie. It's a, well, it's a growth. It's growth, I, growth, I think. I don't know. And it's also okay for, and I haven't watched Jedi in a long, long time, so I can't be super informed about this, but I think it's okay. I mean, I think Empire is more Han Solo's movie than anybody else's. Like, Luke really doesn't complete his growth. Like, he's getting training, and he goes against it, and he learns he fucked up, and that's kind of where you leave him. So you get a really satisfying arc for Han and, I think, Leia, but not for Luke, and then, you know, it's someone else's turn in Jedi. Yeah, back to the Skywalker arc, which I guess it always has to be because supposedly that's our unifying thing. But in terms of... It uh, like Empire not having an ending. I think it has a downer ending, but it has like some very complete arcs for its characters that feel very cathartic when they happen. And then like the promise that that isn't the end. So like even if that was you know the last Star Wars movie we ever got, I doubt there would be people out there being like, and then Han Solo was never seen, never again throughout the galaxy. <laughs> Even crazy people like me who think R two D two is a little a little dick. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think that um, when you talk about hilarious cinematic cliffhangers, the one that I always think of, and, and this this is brought up when, when Dave and I were talking to Neil, the fact that I'm older than all of you, and I was actually alive when Return of the Jedi came out, and also I remember watching Back to the Future, and there being this silly to be continued thing at the end of back to the future one mm. when there was no back to the future to wait but that us. wasn't on it in theaters i think that was only added when they started making back you, to the future. i would never argue with you about back to the future knowledge so <laughs> I'm sure. i don't i mean i have only ever seen it like on vhs after all three existed so there's definitely well it's possible because they re-released it before the because i 
That's maybe why I saw it, because maybe they re-released Back to the Future 1 in the theaters. I just remember there being a To Be Continued, and everyone in the theater laughed for some reason. Oh. That's a memory I have, and, and maybe I invented it. But no, that might have been part two, because I was also alive for that, and like that was one of those ones where they made them at the same time, so they are being released like six months apart, and there was this feeling of like, we gotta wait six months to see... like. <laughs> why, Six why? months doesn't feel that long, but I feel like the, the the delay between Back to the Future one and Back to the Future two, which is what four years, I think. Yeah, something like um, that. is you know, Marty, we gotta go. We gotta save your children. We gotta go back to the future. And oh, that's such off. a great. That was such a great cliffhanger it's, ending. Though. It's a great cliffhanger. No, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying that you know I don't mind a cinematic cliffhanger if it has a payoff. Yeah. And as you say, Katie brings up an excellent excellent point with all these. Um, film franchises we're seeing based on books that get stretched to four movies to fit three so your first installment of the last of the ending always ends up being this horrible setup movie that doesn't feel as satisfying as empire mockingjay part one or harry potter and deathly hallows part one is like this setup to something you know is coming that was a complete story in a book but the studios you know cynically stretched it over two movies to get more money from you the hobbit is entirely that so uh, that's just not how i feel about empire strikes back at all i want to rewatch the two towers now because i don't remember that movie that well but i know it felt really satisfying as a movie and i didn't really read the books so i don't i didn't know where anything was going and i loved those movies um, but it does feel like it pulls off the same empire feat. What, how, like, I remember the Ents, and then they have the big battle of uh, Rohan, I think. I don't remember where it leaves off, though. Well, it's nice because that has the Gollum story arc to carry you through all the mm. walking on Yeah, that's side. right. That's right. And then Aragorn's chase becomes the Helm's Deep battle on the other side. Helm's Deep, sorry. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, of. like, that's the two-hander that gets that done. That's why it felt like a complete movie to me is because you kind of forget that you're doing well, all mean, your character work with Gollum. And the first uh, Lord of the Rings movie ends on a cliffhanger with Frodo and Sam, you know, leaving and Merry and Pippin getting captured. And so our other heroes are like, let's go get Merry and Pip. Like, let's go rescue Merry and Pip from where they've been captured, right? And yeah. Frodo and Sam are gone in another direction to be continued. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's a cliffhanger. And I, I just really don't have a problem with a cliffhanger if it is then paid off in a satisfying way, which I think Return of the Jedi does, the Lord of the Rings movies do, Mockingjay totally did not. So, Well, for me, it's less about it paying off in a satisfying way next, but that you have been given some kind of payoff in what you've already watched. That, like, what you have seen, like, part of it is being left unresolved, but there has been a satisfaction from some other element of it. So it doesn't all feel like it's, like, every string can't be left angling. Yeah. That might be why people laughed at Back to the Future Part 2's ending. Because it's like, we did all of that to be back at the end of the first movie, but before <laughs> he went back to the future. Yeah. But all the like all the threads from that movie have been paid off. Like, I mean, I guess the only thing, like, you don't know where Doc is. or you know, But you know where Doc is. Like, he's fine. So if they never had a third one, like, I guess that would all be okay. But they yeah. have made them at the same time. Well, I mean, so there's, there's not a better there's not a better place to cut it off that would have been more satisfying. No. Now, now knowing the narrative, but now knowing what we know about Back to the Future, <laughs> knowing what we the know Back about to the Future Back saga, the future. yeah, <laughs> about the McFly's history in Hill Valley. <laughs> what a tale it was. Uh, well, I wish Joss Whedon would have maybe I don't know just given me less in Avengers: Age of Ultron. Maybe yeah. Well, he to... knew he was. Uh, he knew he was out, so he had to get it all done. Yeah. Forty percent less. Forty percent less. He should have. I don't remember. 
Should have tossed up a full cliffhanger just to toss how it does it. They blow up a uh, abandoned European city that's floating in the sky. Yeah, but I remember the floating in the sky. But then, oh, is that when they build the like? Oh yeah, and it ends with a Captain America with all the kids at the new assemble thing saying like Avengers assemble, but he doesn't finish his sentence. Yeah, but they don't have like a Han Solo unless you count like Hulk, who's off nowhere and. Going back to fan theories, isn't there a fan theory that like Quicksilver's still alive or something? Ugh. Anyway, that's not true. Ugh. Oh, so. <laughs> sure. Time to jump ships, spoiler phobes. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? I've gathered my uh, storm of spoilers cohorts who are super happy and going the weird places that sometimes storytelling takes us to discuss The Force Awakens. I think for the only time that we're going to all get together to talk about this before one or all of us has uh, seen it. So I guess this is also going to be our our podcast gift to the world about completely uh insane citadel of crazy town star wars force awakens theories um of which i guess i'm going to lead off with one that i reported really early on that i now think is probably not in the movie although i kind of wish it was is um i used to i used to think that uh they would have a scene where uh now general leia was talking to a whole bunch of huts and that they were going to use that as an excuse to spend money manufacturing physical huts that then they could pass on to other productions uh, but the more we learn about what The Force Awakens is going to be about and seeing the teaser stuff they've released of Leia, which I think are her two core outfits from the movie, I'm now sad and walking back the fact that uh, there isn't going to be any huts. But uh, if going off that, Neil, I hear you have a crazy Force Awakens Star Wars speculation rumor. Yeah, well... I think first we should establish where our citadel of crazy is. Like, what planet would we put on? <laughs> what planet? You know, like, in the we have, universe? We have, right, like, we have our, like, our, our winter home in Westeros. It's in Dorne, naturally. Um, but, like, what planet in the Star Wars universe would we put our citadel of, of crazy? Um, I have a spoiler, a spoiler uh, answer for that, which is I would this put is, it that's on, perfect. I'd put it on Takodana, the the jungle planet where Maz Kanata's uh, pirate castle is. All right, say... Ta- Taco Deli, the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Del Taco, the planet. <laughs> um, uh, I was gonna suggest Endor. I think Endor is the nice. Oh, all right, or one of the moons of Endor, or is Endor a moon? I don't know how that works. That's no moon. I don't know. I just. <laughs> What, I think Taco Donna, that sounds great. Okay, ta- Del Taco. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And- <laughs> uh, it's been a it's been a long trip for me in the sense that our roles are reversed. That I've spent now years uh, contemplating the questions like you guys usually do with Game of Thrones. Um, so I'm interested to hear Neil what what the realm of 
I guess. Well, so there's there's a lot of theories about parentage right. that are coming out, uh, and you know, obviously, we think at least I think one of the best ones is that that Ray and Kylo Ren are siblings. Right. Wait, are, they, are they twins, Dave? Maybe they, they. I mean, they could be twins. They could be twins. They could be. Right? They could be siblings. They, they, I mean, Han, a lot of, Han and Leia's kids. Right. The popular theory is that they are based on, which is another thing that you know I've been talking about um, with my uh, huge Star Wars fan roommate, who knows way more than I do, um, is about how you know they they've gotten rid of the expanded universe. That doesn't mean that they won't pull from that. I mean, it doesn't mean that there won't be spiritual characters that exist that are basically you know the solo kids you know right uh, so but my other thing is like okay so they are probably you know han and leia's kids maybe who knows um but who like okay so finn's last name is a mystery whose kid is he what if leia you know at one point like han and leia had maybe a falling out and maybe she stepped out on han and had a little thing with lando uh, so maybe all three of them are Leia's kids, and they all have the Force. The thing I will say... Come just, on now. This is some <laughs> they're, they're all just, Skywalkers. Just from a purely cosmetic point of view, is that John Boyega does not look like he would be the son of the light, lighter-skinned Billy D. Williams and Carrie Fisher. I don't know how genetics work. Is that racist of me to like, talk about? <laughs> I mean, in a place with midichlorians, it's true. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny because if, I mean, if, if they're trying to make, if, if they're doing it, if they're doing anything cosmetically, then yeah, like Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver don't look far off. Like they could pass as kind of a brother and sister and they. Adam they Driver have, especially looks a lot like young Harrison Ford. Right. So like if they're, if, if there's any cosmetics to that, then that's absolutely the answer is that they are Han and Leia's kids. Yeah. But John Boyega, man, I'm I got I got I just want to start some drama. I just want Lando to be involved. I heard there, <laughs> I heard there was a there was a headline I, I told Dave and Neil this. So I'm I'm going to be like surprised by some of the recent revelations. Maybe, except let me tell you right now, listeners, that a lot of the headlines that have been like shocking revelation, Captain Phasma and Maz Kanata are originally supposed to be men. Dave told me this stuff months ago. He always knows. Dave always knows. Um, wow. It's like he read the books or something. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, but uh, I, I read a headline somewhere that said um, we wouldn't know Finn and, Ray, and Ray's last name uh, until the next movie. Or was it just Finn? Um, uh, I mean... But they were holding back one of the last names. Like, we wouldn't find out in, in the Seems movie. like Finn's the likely candidate. Yeah. Yeah, my position in this is, I guess, it's kind of been evolving because we're still getting stuff that's been eking out from the official press conference for people who haven't seen the movie. Um, but I think <laughs> that they were saying during that that some of the names were in flux far into the process. And I know that really early on, uh, they were using the name Kira to refer to Ray just when she was around set. They were also referring to Luke as the old wizard, so it's like these they might have just been code names from the beginning. But it also could be that the name is in flux. I like the theory that Finn is a name that he gives himself because his call number begins with FN, because the Captain Phasma figure 
uh, action figure has a couple of phrases where she's yelling at like a FN something, something, something number. And presumably that'll be because she's uh, Finn's commander at the beginning of the movie. So in terms of not knowing Finn's real last name or really anything about his origin, I think he's the one that's more likely to have a, uh, I am your father moment in episode mm-hmm. eight. Uh, whereas here, um, there've been a lot of rumors that, uh, maybe we would wait to learn like true identities, but I think it's going to be hard to go through some of the motions of the force awakens without, um, talking about who Ray's parents are because there's already saying that up as like this huge mystery. And then if what I think happens at the end of the movie happens at the end of the movie, it's going to be way more moving to know how Kylo Ren is, uh, related to our heroes. Do we want to talk about that right now? I talked about it a little bit with Katie, but I do think that Han Solo dies because Kylo Ren kills him. Yeah, that's something you told me a while ago. I can't believe Katie let you tell her that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's something you said a while ago, and it it makes so much sense for why Harrison Ford is, like, involved in this movie. Like, if he was like, yeah, all right, I'll do one for you, but you gotta kill me. Um, That's my really good Harrison Ford impression. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, personally. It's- and, uh, I mean, narratively, it's a nice emotional gut punch if, you know, if the movie starts with Ray not knowing her parents, and then she gets swept up in this, and she finds out who she is, and then her father dies, like, saving her from her crazy brother. <laughs> Yeah, like, as, um, like, she's going to get a moment, you know, with her father where, like, she sees that or he sees that she, you know, is like a master pilot of the Falcon. And then there's the uh, hero's journey is like rejection of the call to adventure. But I don't think um, she ever gets to see her mom again until the end. And that, that shot, bizarrely, I think ended up in like the most recent TV spot, which I think is like the latest shot in the movie they've actually released. Of Ray, yeah. Of Ray seeing Leia for the first time since hmm. uh, she's been abandoned. On okay, two. so here, here's the question. Katie made have already. Katie might have already asked you this. Uh, so tell me if she did, and and I'll listen to the rest of the other episode. But the big question is: We love Han and Leia. How did they become parents who would abandon their two children? Oh no, she didn't ask me that. Uh, so that's sort of the big question. Uh, that's the content of which dictates a lot of what the force awaken is is that in the middle of the movie maz kanata uses some sort of force power to either trigger a flashback actually in the characters um and show them things or she narrates basically the history of the lightsaber that's going to be our macguffin uh in this movie and uh, the events there are rumored to include a young Ray, so she has been abandoned for her safety. And as the current uh, Google Cardboard official experience is uh, telling us, uh, Leia and the Resistance have constantly had spies on Jakku. So they may have abandoned her, but if anything like really serious went down, they might not like leave her to die. Might might not leave her to die. Might well it depends what her thing is. Like if she's uh, 
as dangerous as Anakin Skywalker was, then maybe there would have been some debate. Maybe you just kind of put her off to the side and they were never planning on picking her up. Right. Cause we're, well, I mean, that's so, that's so heartless, but, um, and I don't want to believe that of Han and Leia, but, um, yeah, there, 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 I mean, there have been some indications that Ray is like sort of, yeah, the Anakin, the, the, I mean, Luke was never, Luke's volatile emotions in the original trilogy seemed, you know, there's a question of whether or not he's going to choose the light side or the dark in theory, but I don't think you ever believe that of Mark Hamill, right? Um, but in each trilogy, in theory, we have a, a powerful player who could go one way or another. Anakin went one way, Luke went another. And then the question is, which way is Ray going to go? And I've also heard some indications, or it seems, seems like Kylo Ren might wind up being more sympathetic than we think. I don't know. If Han and Leia are the kind of parents that d- ditch their child on Jakku, maybe he's right to not care for them very much. Um, I like the theory. I feel like we talked about this off air while recording about Game of Thrones. And Dave, you can tell me if this has been updated, but there was this rumor out there that part of this like flashback involves like a school where maybe Kylo Ren and Rey were as children and it gets like attacked by the Knights of Ren and maybe he gets taken and that's why they hide Rey. Or turns, I guess, would be the idea. Right. Um, yeah, so basically where we've and left... And that's what drives Luke into hiding, right? Yeah, where, we, right? where we've left Luke in the um, expanded universe, which is uh, Star Wars Aftermath, and I believe there's a Force Awa- or a post-Endor, uh, uh, Battle of Endor sequence in Weapon of a Jedi, is that he has... Uh, promised to start another Jedi school um, on a planet that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's one that's been heard about in the expanded universe before. It's not Taco Deli? It's not Taco Deli. (laughs) Um, And so, but at the beginning of The Force Awakens, nobody really knows where he is. Um, So at some point, things go wrong. Presumably in the flashback, that's where we will see the shot from the trailer where he's sort of like near something flaming and touches R2-T2, that that would be a funeral pyre for uh, his younglings that didn't make it. And then during casting, there were some people, something like a... British extras who suddenly popped up with uh, like Padawan on their uh, resume that um, you know hadn't been there. They hadn't been in the prequels, so who knows mm-hmm. if that's the parts that they ended up playing. But Knights of Ren, um, there's been there, there was a whole bunch of uh, like stunt people from the raid cast, and there's some Ooh. debate as to whether they're going to end up being the Knights of Ren or one of the pirate groups that we end up uh, mm-hmm. meeting along the way. But the idea that they're the masked people that are in the rain in the teaser, and then uh, Kylo Ren sort of you know inherits his mask uh, from whoever's wearing it there. Or that's later on after he's taken on a like leadership role for the Knights of Ren is all still very much up in the air as is how Andy Serkis plays into the whole power structure. I have a question about Andy Serkis. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Well, that was my question. (laughs) Oh, really? Well, my question is about the concept art. Was that your question? Mm, Sort of. No, no, you go go ahead with yours because it leads into mine. (sighs) Okay. So his, his character's name is, what admiral snoke 
what Supreme is it? Leader Snoke. Supreme Leader Snoke. Uh, and there's been there was some very early concept art that had him looking like a snake, a giant snake. Yes. Like the snake from the animated Jungle Book movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Dave, we've talked about this in the past, but but what are your thoughts of what Andy Serkis is actually going to look like in the movie? Um, uh, well, first of all, we know he's giant because Andy Serkis gave an interview where he said he didn't know what uh, he looked like, but he knew that he was large. Um, and so that sort of like narrows down our known universes. The idea that I like is that it's based on the original Macquarie Emperor design, which is sort of like a cat Voldemort, uh, who was much bigger and had like, you know, three finger claws, but was definitely like an alien imposing species. But because so much of the Force Awakens design has been based on the original Macquarie designs, I'd like to see it go in that direction if they don't, you know, pick a species that exists in the Star Wars universe. Okay. I like the idea okay, of this being leads, really old. This leads into my um, my question. Yeah. Because I was talking to my roommate again. <laughs> he's, he's telling me all about the expanded universe stuff. Well, I don't even know if this is expanded universe stuff. Um, because this is... Is there a chance that Snoke has something to do or could be Darth Plagueis? The, oh man, they've denied it explicitly, but I hope. Oh, is he the John so. Harrison of this movie? Yeah, but didn't JJ say he wouldn't do that again? You can't. JJ trust says anything all kinds because, of stuff. Yeah, because of the first time. Listen, so, I I don't trust anyone on Game of Thrones, but I trust JJ <laughs> when he said that he really regretted the whole con thing. Well, he regretted it. Doesn't mean he's not going to do it again. <sighs> okay. um, I think it's more likely that they have said no because this movie doesn't elaborate on it and that they made the character knowing like as a placeholder for major villain that they're going to need later on um, uh, I don't, like I don't think because it would be great if he is uh, in well, and, it, and it lines up with some of the early not the some of the concept art which or descriptions of the concept art where he's kind of tall and long faced because all the stuff of, of Darth Plagueis as I've researched him over the last you know, like five minutes, um, <laughs> is then he, his, be his, this like long face and thin bone structure. Uh, and what he was the one, they talked about him in episode three about being obsessed with immortality. Right. And then it was revealed in the expanded universe that he had actually been Sidious's master, like really close right. to that time. And they had made Anakin out of midichlorians. So um, he's, uh, immortal. Um, he's learned how to conquer death, which is supposedly the ultimate Sith power. We haven't seen that actually manifest. Um, we've seen things where you could like pull a little bit of life force out of somebody and extend your life through the force. And we've seen Darth Bane who lives on as sort of like a dark spirit on the Sith home world. But, uh, like played play by Tom Hardy. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Um, but he's still in canning. The, the, the force. The force awakens. Both, like the Jedi and the Sith, ultimately want to conquer death because, like, the ultimate Qui Gon Jinn goal was to learn how to force ghost, and that's what he taught Yoda, and that's what Yoda taught Obi Wan, and that's the most powerful force power we've seen from the good side in the entire thing. 
So it's like I have a lot of questions about how the dark side works now because how we left it in the aftermath novel was um, there were rumors that Palpatine was looking for a great wellspring of the dark side that existed outside of the Outer Rim. And there were also places on the Outer Rim where Darth Vader cults had sort of like started to spring up where they were looking for things that had been associated with him and uh, spray painting, you know, like he lives under Darth Vader helmets on like the streets of whatever planet they were on. So I'm interested to see if that develops into the Knights of Ren or, and Kylo Ren becoming like this Darth Vader fanboy who's hunting Darth Vader artifacts, or if Snoke is actually from this wellspring that the first order stumbles upon after they've sort of been like driven out of the core. Um, and, allows them to come back sort of as a new force because okay. Supreme leader gives, and the fact that Dom Hall Gleason at some point will uh, report to him kind of gives the idea that he is the only one that is leading over the military force and sort of like the force side. Can I ask you, uh, oh, this is fun. This is a reverse of storm spoilers. It's just us asking you questions. Um, <laughs> um, the tables who, have turned. Who do you think survives to be in episode eight? Like, who do you, which characters you see as integral going forward into episode eight? Um, Kylo Ren, Ray, Luke Skywalker, BB-8, Phasma. Not Finn. Oh, Finn. Sorry, That's I, just, not I po, just assumed Poe Dameron. Um. Uh, I think he's probably gonna he's probably gonna be in there. I I don't know as for sure. There's just no reason to have him die in the final battle. So let's say yes. Okay. Um, but Leia, but Leia's not important. Oh, I mean, she's also. Oh, sorry. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think Leia. It, you know, the, the prevailing theory from my households, I say, because it's collective theories, <laughs> um, is that Leia is the only original trilogy character that might just not die. Like she may make it through all three movies and then just kind of like retire. Oh, that's like, cool. Oh, Maz Kanata. Maz Kanata will make it through, I think. Okay. Well, Maz Kanata's made it this far, so. Yeah, apparently she's she like met seven, Yoda. 700 years old or something. Apparently she's me- she's met Yoda according to J.J. Abrams. Lupita Nyong'o said that she doesn't like to compare her character to Yoda. But I think people, those comparisons are inevitable if she's like... It's a height. It's, it's yeah, heightism. Yeah, it's, it's a heightism, right? yes. <laughs> but also a wisdomism thing, you know? Mm. Basically, right? I think that everything that you would call, like, highlights of the original trilogy are going to be echoed here in one movie. So you're going to have, like, tiny wizard sage and, like, rescue from a prison. I think you're going to actually have that twice. And like all sorts of lightsaber tomfoolery, and then you already have all three like major planets represented. You have jungle planet, desert planet, snow planet. So like, yeah, they have new names, but those three planets are the original trilogy. So a lot of the answers I think are going to end up having been in original trilogy because like they're going to try to do this generational echo thing, which is completely different than what George Lucas did with the prequels. Uh, but mm-hmm. is more, I think, sure to play to the fan of the original trilogy than the prequels. So, as Mel Brooks might say, it's going to be the original trilogy, the sequel. 
Exactly. <laughs> I think that's why when Lucas says, I think the fans are really going to enjoy it, I think that's what he's saying. It's like, hey, this is all the stuff that you guys wanted me to do in the first place. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of conclusions. Like, A New Hope, you know, moves along across a, you know, really thin plot and doesn't, you know, suffer any fools. I think The Force Awakens is going to move really fast. So, a lot so of it's the- not going to be like The Hobbit? Right. I think a lot of the questions that we have now probably we'll still have after The Force Awakens. We'll just have more information to speculate on. That's why it's so weird to I know meet people that are still like really averse to spoilers. Because I'm like, oh, I don't know if uh, you're, we're even going to have all these answers. Like, I don't, I don't think people realize how little Luke Skywalker is actually going to be in this movie. Like, they're like, oh, where's Luke? Funny marketing. Ha ha. Good for you, J.J. Abrams. It's like, no. This is a this is a Han Solo movie in terms of the original cast, so show up for that. But Mark Hamill probably didn't have a lot to do. Um, do you? Okay, yeah. I, I I mean I don't think the Where's Luke thing. I, I like the way that the Star Wars camp has run with the Where's Luke thing, right? Yeah. But that wasn't something that they orchestrated. They left him off the poster, but not. I don't know. He's in the first trailer. Like- his hand is there. Right. That's that's that guy. I yeah, knew that. That's who that is. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I'm surprised they've kept the whole lightsaber thing, like the fact that that's sort of a motivating force that's uh, so secret, this close up, considering that's going to be like how we open, is like the establishing that the lightsaber is important, I would assume. I mean, it could be very A New Hope where we don't see what goes in the droid, we just see the droid run away, but uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna start off with a Max Van Sydow, uh, you know, three eyed Raven hands a lightsaber to Poe Dameron. I was about to say he can't three eyed <laughs> Raven in so many movies, but I guess or in so many things, but I guess he's gonna Max he can, Van Sydow, and he will. Font of wisdom everywhere you go. Yep, he's gonna he's he's gonna have a really memorable Kylo Ren scene. That's that's for sure. Kylo Ren really? kill him too. What? Does Kylo Ren kill him too? I think that's the sh- the downward slicing shot that we've been seeing uh, from the trailers. Might be the beheading of a three eyed raven. I mean, you know, I will say this: if they have Kylo Ren kill Han Solo and then redeem Kylo Ren over the trilogy, that's going to be some great storytelling. There's going to have to be. I mean, it's going to be really fun to see that scene because there's. Also reports that Adam Driver shot a scene in the Millennium Falcon cockpit. So it's like, what? How how into this guy's head are we going to get? Like, we're going to get into his little monologue to his Vader toys, and he's going to have, like, a monologue in the Millennium... I, I don't know. The, the Kylo Ren question is super interesting to me because I think he's going to end up being the character that is my favorite. And because he's weird, he's weird. And because Adam Driver is the best. Yeah, right. Because Adam no Driver is weird. Yeah, he's so weird. I could just. I love. I loved being at Comic Con and um, watching everyone be so comfortable and excited, and then Adam Driver, not looking pissy, but just sort of looking like he wanted to crawl out of his own skin. He was just like, "I'm a weirdo, and I don't belong here." Yeah, um, anyway. and to have that energy carry over into the next two films, I think it's going to be super, super sweet. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Um, I just think it's—I I think what's most fascinating about the Force Awakens is that you know we have all these theories and rumors and things, but 
really doesn't feel like we know anything about this movie. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a rare, it's kind of a nice rare thing. Um, and that's what I've sort of been surprised about is that like even the trailers and TV spots while adding things are adding things around like these little two minute sections of the movie. So like ultimately, even if you throw together all the shots we've got, like you only have access to like eight minutes of the movie total. And yeah, it's mm-hmm. interspersed throughout the movie, but that isn't enough to like draw meaningful conclusions from anything. Which has been artful and super great. It's been weird not talking to people like Matt Patches about it. Because I'm like, this this is fun, too. This is the fun mm-hmm. part. Because after the movie exists, the movie exists. And then this fun speculation stuff, we have to like be like, oh, all right. Two more years. See what Ryan Johnson does. I guess. But I think, I think it is fun. I mean, you know. We don't need to turn this into like a big conversation about spoilers, but it will be fun for Patches to go into this movie and not know that Ray and Kylo Ren are brother and sister and, you know, Han and Leia's kids, you know, it's to have all those revelations unfold in front of you just as they did when we were kids and watched Star Wars for the first time. That is a really like precious and admirable thing that Patches has managed to engineer for himself. That's true. Although that's you know? interesting. Did you ever actually enter Star Wars not knowing what was going on? Well, I'm, I literally can't remember the first time I watched Star Wars. Oh, I was, I must have been very young. Yeah, I can't remember. It feels like it was always there. And I mean, I grew up in Lucas territory. You know, I grew up like 20 minutes from Lucas Valley Ranch. And, you know, I am older than some of the people on this podcast. So I think I was alive when the last movie came out. So, um, I don't know. We were deep in, deep in Star Wars country when I grew up, uh, star Wars, everything. So, yeah, I can't remember when I watched it. Return of the Jedi came out in 1983. I mean, I guess I was alive then. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely didn't. It it came out before I was born. When did it come out? May 25th of 83. I was born at the end of that, that year. Yeah. I was born in 81. Right. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I didn't go to the theater in 1983. My sister was born. Um, while my mom was at the first Star Wars, she had <laughs> well, to leave that's... the theater so she could give birth to my sister. So yeah, that's you know, awesome. Like yeah, Return of the Jedi came out in my lifetime. Alderaan uh, Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, I think I'm rambling at this point, but but yeah, I I, I don't know. Star Wars is in my blood, just like Metaclorians are. Oh, I guess. Ooh. good one. He wasn't. Well, I guess, I guess that is an interesting. It's an interesting point, though, because um, I'm pretty sure by the time I actually watched Star Wars with a mind that could absorb it, um, I knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't, I I don't remember, remember having like a moment where I was like, <gasps> "What?" He's right, it wasn't like, shocking. I don't have that memory at all, but you know, I definitely didn't know like, oh, they blow up the Death Star and. You know, oh, these Ewoks are friendly. Like, I think all of that stuff was new to me. I don't know and how I got exposed too. to it, but it was definitely like when Han Solo shows up in the cantina, I'm like, there's Han Solo. It was never, mm-hmm. I've always, yeah, it's always sort of late. It's like I, I could have owned the toys before I ever saw the movies, if I'm really honest with myself. Ooh, yeah. yeah that's a good like, point. I could have had Star Wars toys long before I ever saw Star Wars because I was born right at the end of when the first one or the last one came out. So um, I liked toys before I liked movies. 
pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> um, so, but it's interesting. I mean, I mean, at this point, I'm I'm old, too old to care about spoilers. You know, like I like the puzzle. I don't. I don't care about not. I don't care about being shocked in a movie theater. Yeah, I'm um, not sure it would be. I don't know that it's like shock, but there are virtues of both. Like, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about this. Like going to a film festival, and not really knowing anything about a movie, like because you haven't even seen a trailer for it yet. Mm-hmm. You know who's in it, and you've got a brief synopsis of it, and then you go in, and there's just a real. There is a genuine joy to that, or discovering an old movie that you've never heard of. And not Googling anything about it beforehand and just watching it and being surprised and delighted. So uh, it's not about shock or gasp or like twist or any of that. It's more just the wonder of a story and, you know, unfolding. That's what I want. Unfolding in front of you. Mm. Um, But there's also, as you say, the joy of this, of this puzzle and trying to figure it all out. I think that there's virtues in both. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess. uh, I don't know. What we're trying to say is that Patches is wrong. Right. No, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying the opposite. That's what I'm saying. Watch a trailer. Have the (laughs) Chewy We're Home moment with the rest of goddamn America. Watch BB-8 roll out on a stage live like the rest of goddamn America. I will say this. I was down with the Star Wars marketing for like the first, like, you know, if you wanted to skirt spoiler territory, the first few previews. It's when all those TV spots started rolling out. I just really admired that they cut these really affecting and like interesting trailers without any plot information. And the TV spots came rolling out. And I grant you that if you watch them without then heading to the internet and watching everyone pour over every detail and explain how this confirms this theory, then maybe you're still getting a kind of vague picture of the movie. But I really, I, I really liked the restraint advertising, and and I, I feel like they're doing overkill these last few weeks because they don't need to because everyone is gonna go see this movie. I don't think any of the interviews or any of the things that they've been doing these last couple weeks are is gonna convince anyone. I think everyone was already on board, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a professional marketer, so what do I know? I'm just like. If we if we can't spend like years aspiring to be a Jedi, what are we going to spend years aspiring to be now? Do I want to be a Knight of Ren? I I need to know any answers to these questions pretty fast. There, do you know, do you you think the Jedi are the bad guys? Is that the no? Theory? I just think there's still only one. And it's Luke. There's, wait, there's still one bad guy. I know. I think there's or still one only Jedi. one Jedi. And it's Luke. Oh, and I think it's, it's Luke. Luke's still the last Jedi. And I think every time he tries to do that, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. And so maybe he's decided not to. And, you know, maybe, by do that, you mean teach someone else. Right. And maybe that he's a little resistant to that going forward. Mm. So maybe, maybe, you know, that's part of why I really like the idea of like Kylo Ren is I want to know who he is and what his deal is, because he, at this point you could argue me to that side. Maybe the, maybe the dark side is doing shit. I don't know. He seems like a pretty smart dude. Uh, I want I want to know what his what his pitch is. What what's the work that Darth Vader started? Technically, is it just a giant Death Star? Because they sort of already have that already. So then, what it what is it? Conquering death. Mm. I don't know what it is. That is a good question. What is the work that Darth Vader started? Yeah. Because if it's just like taking over the galaxy, I mean, come on, dude, that's boring. And I get the idea that Kylo Ren is working towards one goal, whereas the First Order is working towards another goal. And at this point, they're overlapping, but he seems like the rogue Knights Templar leader. 
So then, if if Kylo Ren is finishing this quest for immortality, which is sort of the dark side's thing, then the Dark Plagueis thing is totally in play. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that the whole idea that the Force like goes through waves where it's dormant and active mm-hmm. means that this resurgence presumably is going to have its own balance maker or uh, Luke, Luke Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker, whatever you know generation you think you're going to have. And I mm-hmm. think at this point, it's more likely to be Kylo Ren who's tempted and switches than it is going to be Rey. And it's not... The other thought is, it's not just wiping out the Jedi is the goal, is it? I mean, I mean maybe, maybe the Jedi in the form of Luke... Right. Are, like, are is actually, Kylo Ren hunt is the one? Is he the one hunting Luke Skywalker? Are actually dangerous. Like, like not that Luke himself is dangerous, but that the, that every time Luke has tried to train someone in the Force, something terrible has happened. So Luke is in hiding, but maybe they need to eradicate Luke because he's still too dangerous, even though he's trying not to train anyone anymore. And uh, so Kylo Ren is actually is actually a good guy in a way because he's trying to stop this Jedi situation. I mean that that's a possibility. There's definitely like I don't I get the idea that the resistance doesn't know where Luke is either. Mm-hmm. Like there needs to be a puzzle that's solved with the the lightsaber. The lightsaber is the key to either finding Luke or some sort of power. Um there's uh, at some point in the latter part of the movie when Rey and Kylo Ren get a scene to sort of act off each other. Um, whatever Kylo Ren's doing to Poe Dameron in the teaser that makes him like yell. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, when he does that to Ray, he learns some sort of information about like either the lightsaber or their relation or something that makes him like that kind of shakes him up. And I think if I were to guess, just from a filmmaking standpoint, that's like the mask off moment, and that's why you know when you see him in the snow and whatnot, he's uh, full Adam Driver. Uh, exposing himself (laughs) um but yeah it's like i really want to know because there's been a lot of rumors about luke at first we thought he had been like kidnapped and kept away but now i think that's just because nobody from the resistance knows where he was and then there's the rumor that you know he went dark or just got fearful of his own powers and has like gone away um so the the whole mindset of like if the force awakens then like what's the you know the state of the union on all that is the for me what i'm most excited about walking out of the movie knowing because i'm going to walk out of the movie knowing that either way even if it's a horrible movie and that's what's going to boost me forward for another years of onslaught for another installment is it's like the the universe got reactivated and I'm interested in this version in a way that I wasn't interested in the politics of the Galactic Empire or the Galactic Senate in the first mm-hmm. prequel version. Trade negotiations, basically. Trade negotiations. Taxes. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you here's a good question. <clears throat> if you had to guess what the subtitle of the next movie was gonna be, what do you think it's Ooh. gonna be? I love it. What a good question. That is a good mm. question. It's something that's been plaguing me. 
So Darth Darth Plagueising you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been Darth Plagueising me. <laughs> well, let's talk about what it has to be, right? It has to be mm-hmm. a transition movie. It has to be a rise of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably ends on some sort of cliffhanger. Even though mm-hmm. the start of the Clone Wars isn't a cliffhanger, but it does kick off the entire like animated series, which is a ton of adventure. So it's a Revenge of the Sith and Revenge of the Sith and the Empire Strikes Back. So is First Order going to be in the title? No, it wasn't. Boring. No, it was Attack of the Clones. Oh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Right. So what? Like, um, <laughs> what's what's a synonym for attack and strike? <laughs> <laughs> Um, the charge of the lightsaber brigade. That's nice. <laughs> oh, the dark side rises. Ooh. The force awakens. The dark side rises. The force awakens. The dark side rises. Um, It'd be like Batman begins. The dark side yeah. rises. <laughs> yeah. Who, who's our bad guy for that one? Benicio del Toro. Oh, for the second one. Yeah. For episode eight. Ooh. What? I don't understand why they need another bad guy. <laughs> good, good question, Neil. See, there you go. We're down the rabbit hole now. Yeah, no, I think there's going to be. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I, I think. I think Kylo Ren. So might Kylo be Ren hero. turns early. Well, okay. So I thought. Kylo I Ren... thought. Uh, like, isn't Daisy Ridley's character going to be in a question mark in? the second episode or do you think luke is going to be training daisy ridley in episode two begrudgingly so they've already shot some of episode eight uh, sorry episode eight sorry. yeah on uh skelling michael island in ireland which is also where they shot some of the force awakens because they're when they are going to be shooting in january it's not going to be the best weather conditions uh to shoot out there and so the theory is this movie ends with luke starting to train ray and that's where episode eight picks up Okay. Uh, um, because, yeah, who's on there? The two droids, or the two droids, BB-8, R2-D2, uh, Mark Hamill, and Daisy Ridley. Okay. Okay. So I'm trying like, to think of, like, like, what are the things that would turn Kylo Ren? Like, the familial connection, maybe. Um, maybe the realization that if he destroys the light side of the Force, then the Force goes away is that a thing is it possible does oh, he you, like unbalance it Ooh, yeah okay. like if he unbalances the does force. he know han is his father um does he I, kill he han without, after yeah kills han without knowing he's his father and then he's like shit i'm gonna be good now i mean uh, what i what i would love to happen is that he finds out whatever he needs to find out from ray and then things are going really bad, and uh, Han Solo steps out without with his hands raised and just tries to like let everybody get away and reveals it then. Mm-hmm. And Kylo Ren's response is like not to care or to like do what Ray probably should have done and be like, "Why the fuck did you abandon me to these people?" Then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like yeah, sac- okay. silences him. Uh, that, I mean, that's what I'd like to happen. And then now that I'm stumbling into it, I want the episode eight to have a Luke Skywalker specific title, like the fall of Luke Skywalker. Cause I think that's mm. what needs to happen. He needs to, if you, you know, you have 
super guy decides he's finally going to train somebody, but he's theoretically the ultimate uh, force power in the universe. Ooh, or like the fall of the Jedi or something like that. Yeah, something like that. This the the ultimate uh, down spot. Or Star Wars: The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. <gasps> Ooh, the Last Jedi. Yeah. Or the penultimate Jedi. Because, I mean, we, we think we think Daisy Ridley's going to be a Jedi, right? Well, I mean, you could also... Maybe. Could be like the death of the Jedi. Man, that'd be a dark title. <laughs> Ooh, that would be a dark title. But, like, Luke's technically a Jedi master, but just the last Jedi would technically be Luke Skywalker no matter what, right? Because they're not, like, making temples and forming orders anymore like the jedi's well, yeah, title I mean, yeah but he's the last jedi luke, as of now i think he would i how mean did luke the, become a jedi if oh because yoda was, yoda trained him right but then you just need a jedi master then right uh to train a well right but what i'm saying is like we've been uh, jedi sorry <laughs> No, that's why Jedi, Jedi is a term like Christian. It's what you call people who have a, hold a certain sect of beliefs and are organized around it. Like I don't right. like Oki religions. Yeah, like Hans says. Good, good, <laughs> good force users could be called something else, and maybe it's time for the whole. If Kylo Ren is not technically a Sith, then maybe there won't be any more Jedi. Like if the Rule of Two isn't in play, and like that whole dead religion's going to die, maybe the Sith religion or the Jedi religion will also die. Then mm. we will have something else something new and something disney copyrighted so they'll be like like force presbyterians yeah sure the martin the martin luther theses of the the 47 theses star wars episode 8 the 47 theses 47 is not the right i'm a bad lutheran i'm sorry guys (laughs) Uh, or, or it'll be the um what's the one what's the other one what's the other religion never mind it doesn't matter (laughs) <laughs> Joanna, do you have a episode eight title? Um, I I feel like my suggestion of charge a lightsaber brigade should be taken seriously. <laughs> I I apologize for belittling your completely sincere suggestion. Uh, charge the lightsaber. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have a good one. I mean, if the lightsaber is going to be the MacGuffin, then... A storm of lightsabers. <laughs> storm of lightsabers. Storm of sabers. Yeah. Um, a feast for... I don't know. All right. All right, Joe. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I do... Not to get serious, um, but I do like the like the fall of the Jedi or like the last Jedi or like this kind of cynical thing for episode eight so that episode nine can be the rise of something else. You know, right? A rebirth or a yeah. Mm-hmm. But can they use fall and rise um, after in a post Batman world? You mean in a post Planet of the Apes world? And dawn, dawn of the rise of the Jedi. <laughs> yes, dawn of the rise of the Jedi. Oh my God, the third one's going to be dawn of something. God damn it! <laughs> or what if it's just like Star Wars: The Force Awakens, Star Wars: The Force Quickens, Star Wars: The Force is Realized. Like it's some just stupid crap like that. <laughs> they just add the Force, and then the Quickens. Force trilogy. <laughs> Quickens, gross. All right. Uh. <laughs> the Force moistens. Ew. Oh. <laughs> 
That's going to conclude our second Star Wars special here at Fighting in the War Room. And that was the last one before Star Wars The Force Awakens opens worldwide this Friday. Uh, you heard Miss Katie Rich from Vanity Fair's Hollywood. You could follow her on Twitter at K-E-T-Y-R-I-C-H. Miss Joanna Robinson, you could follow her on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Mr. Neil Miller, you could follow him on Twitter at Rejects. Uh, Mr. Matt Patches, who is still on Twitter at Mr. Patches and still has not seen The Force Awakens as of this recording. And of course, I'm Dave Gonzalez, DA70 on Twitter. You could find the rest of us podcasting about various topics at fightinginthewarroom.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on the other side. Yeah.